Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, and we are getting ready to review all of the Week Five NFL action. You ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's get right into it. Uh, by the way, thanks. Let's talk charity drive really quick here because uh, we hit our goal. We did being... not just hit our goal, smashed through it. Thanks to one particularly generous donation, but a lot of other donations as well. We were trying to raise two thousand dollars. We have raised thirty three hundred and counting already. Uh, which means we probably need to start thinking about like a stretch goal. What can the what can we add yeah. to this on top? Stretch goal. I need still need some time to get the arm ready, you know, so yeah. I don't hurt you. But uh, yeah, I'll be pitching. I'll be pitching to Sam. It's official. It's going to happen. We're going to have to find a field or whatever we're going to do here. So I started looking into this, and uh, I was like, all right, I got to find me a, a bat, right? I got to go look for a metal bat. How much can they cost? And in my brain, it was like you know eighty dollars or something for a metal bat. How much yeah. can a lump of metal cost? dial up like dick sporting goods and they're like four to five hundred dollars yeah for the good stuff yeah for the good bat I, I, i'm letting you use a metal bat i just need a lump of metal a swing how expensive can this be use a wood bat like you know so i complained about this on twitter and a guy reached out to me a guy called derek fye uh who works for <laughs> complained about this on twitter yeah yeah he reached out he works for a company called stinger uh and they're going to send me a metal bat they're also going to create a wooden one that has the charity and the PFF logo that we can like We've display yeah. for the desk. Um, so that's going to be awesome. Those Good guys old stinger are bats. I love it. Involved and they're going to give me a bat to, to practice with don't and use, actually use. Don't use the wood one against me because I'll break it. Well, the wood one's too nice. We can't, yeah. can't use that. And it's I'll, a metal one. And I would break it. It's called it. the nuke. The arm side run right yeah. into the barrel. Of course. Um, anyway, let's get into all of that. So that's great. Appreciate everybody for uh, for donating. Yeah. And, so uh, we're we've already raised three grand for best friends animal society as as i say we need to think of uh stretch goals but at the moment at some point in the future there will be steve a former minor league baseball pitcher on the fringes of the majors is mm. that fair i was a major leaguer for two days in spring training there you go two days uh throwing a ball throwing multiple balls in the general vicinity of me a guy who's maybe swung about 10 times in his life in the same 10 minute stretch about a decade ago yeah, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna so I'm I'm gonna send some messages out, try to find a catcher for this whole thing, and oh, try yeah? to get a location and get this thing set up. I think we'll also create like a full video out of it, the way we did with Renner's forty. Oh, time. we have to. We'll do training montage, both of us getting ready. I think there's there's a lot we could do here. So uh, let's get into all of the week five action. We have to we have to rewind back to Saturday, uh, Saturday. Thursday to Thursday. Thursday. I okay. heard a little echo, and I was I lost my train of thought for a second. Huh. Look, I'm ready. I'm ready, though. Thursday night, the Los Angeles Rams beat the Seattle Seahawks 26-17. to Of course, the big story here is not the Rams moving to 4-1. and It was Russell Wilson with a mallet finger. He, he smoked his finger on Aaron Donald's hand and, you know, knocks the top part of it out of place. He's, at, he's opting to have surgery. Uh-huh. And he'll be out, was it six weeks, six to eight weeks? Four to eight. Four to eight weeks. Some, you know, 
Russ being, uh, what was the... Uh, One of the greatest heroes of all time. All-time great healer, Russ, Russ Wilson. Might so be back Pete in a Carroll. week instead of four. Mm. So uh, the we'll get to this later, but Saquon Barkley injured himself uh, yesterday. And they were saying, you know, the lower ankle sprain, out X amount of time. But he's a good healer, you know? He's also a good healer. Only a good healer. Now, look, Russ is one of the all-time greats, you know? It's Wolverine, Jesus, Russell Wilson, those little lizards that lose tails and just grow them right back. Yeah. That's your list, right? I saw your healer rankings on Twitter. Saquon, just a good healer. Just a good. Yeah. Like, he'll be back, but... You have to update like the rankings. Does, does he make the top five? No, God, no. After Jesus, as, Russ. As just a good healer? No. No. You've got to be an all-time will not make to get the on the top five. five. Jesus is a step above the rest right. of uh, the rest of those, Look, that man shook off a case of death in a couple of days. Like, can't beat that. Yeah, it's unmatched. Uh, so Russ is out, and uh, you know Seattle goes to Pittsburgh next Sunday night. When you look at the rest of their schedule, how deep the NFC West is, it's kind of a big deal. So, do we want to talk Russ? We always need you know Wednesday stuff to discuss. Do we want to talk more about Russ then, or at least acknowledge it here? Uh, he hasn't missed a start, <laughs> so this is yeah. uh, rough for Seattle. That's his uh, his shot at Brett Favre's unbreakable start streak gone. Like <laughs> that's how insane this streak is. Uh, and yeah, like obviously it's bad for Russell Wilson. His streak goes. The big thing for Seattle though is like this is a team that was relying on Russell Wilson, like almost no other team relies on their quarterback, and that's gone for a while. So yeah. now it's Geno Smith's show. What can the rest of that roster do without Russell Wilson? Russ has a PFF grade of 90 right now. I think they have two other guys on the roster who have a grade above 80, and everything else is meh. Yeah, we'll talk about the Chiefs in a minute, but the Chiefs are 2-3, and three, Seattle's 2-3. and three. We're talking about some teams with elite quarterbacks at the top not being over, able to overcome the rest of their rosters. So um, it, was an, it was a weird game, Seattle and L.A. I mean, it was very odd on Thursday night in general, the game flow and all these different things. Uh, Matthew Stafford also had a finger injury. Mm. It wasn't as bad as Russ's, but clearly affected his ability to throw the ball. Not that you'd know it from the narrative coming out of the game. What's that? What's well, Stafford was great because he threw for 365 yards. and yeah, they, they weren't were open throws left and right. The Rams continue to scheme it up, and Seattle's defense, just a lot of holes and a lot of problems. So um, we'll talk more about both of these teams later in the week, but have to at least acknowledge, hey, it looks like the Seahawks – are in some trouble here mm -hmm. coming out of that Thursday night game and good for the Rams as they move to four and one trying to keep pace with the Cardinals who moved to five and oh we'll talk about them a little bit later um let's go through the Sunday slate though uh starting in London uh Falcons 27 Jets 20 in the uh the first of the 9 30 a.m London games yes I came to the conclusion yesterday that there's no single phrase or combination of words that Americans sound more wrong saying than Tottenham London. Hotspur can you say Tottenham Hotspur Tottenham Hotspur. Right. It's just, what? I don't understand. Something happens when Americans say it. It just, be, it just, it's wrong. Just Tottenham. That's even worse. <laughs> Stop. Tottenham. No. Okay. Yeah. Spurs Stadium. I didn't just repeat you exactly? No. Oh, okay. You changed it. 27-20 uh, in a game that the Falcons kind of felt like they were winning handily. And I mean, they were, yeah. Do, I was a little disappointed in the Jets offense against this Falcons defense. I thought they'd do a little bit more. I thought this would be that opportunity for Zach Wilson to have that breakout game. Uh, are the Falcons getting better defensively here? We saw some pretty good play from A.J. Terrell. Uh, are they getting better here, or is it just a matter of it's the Jets offense? I it felt more like the Jets offense than that. If there's reasons to be encouraged for Atlanta, 
And I think there might be. Um, yeah, I think I'm so too. Getting encouraged by what that offense is starting to look like. Now, look, it, there's <laughs> there's only marginally fewer mitigating factors when you say it's the Jets' defense than it's the Jets' offense. But they are starting to like. So they go the, to to London. They don't have Calvin Ridley. They're already sort of lost trying to figure out how to patch up no Julio Jones. Now you're sort of left with, okay, what does this look like when we have to turn to Kyle Pitts and Cordero Patterson and Mike Davis? And it actually looks kind of good. Like the combination of having to lean on Cordero Patterson and Kyle Pitts was actually paying significant dividends. Like Patterson is just a dynamic playmaker pretty much anywhere you put him. And it feels like they... Once you get over the idea that he is not a nuanced route running number one wide receiver that can do everything, you start to accept the idea that he can still play wide receiver and do a lot of good things. You just can't ask him to do everything. Um, and then when you, com- when you combine that with, we can also put him in the backfield and have him be a good running back and then work between the two. And then on top of that, we can hit Kyle Pitts lined up anywhere. All of a sudden, this becomes a really difficult offense to match up with. And then if you can just have, you know, Matt Ryan not throw it away, you're long, in business. As long as he's in dur- indoors at, uh, what, what's what's the stadium here? Spurs. Spurs yeah, Stadium. Spurs Stadium. Yeah. Look, I think it's hilarious. When you look at the receiving options for the Falcons, who caught passes? Is that just something in the mug? Yeah. Oh. You think I'm fake sipping on yeah, yeah. live on air? I thought this was just for show. I mean, yours is. Our friends, in it, our friends right? Western and Southern I, here. There's water in here. Oh, someone else has to use that later. I'll wash it. I'm just going to leave it sitting here. But I while there's a mug on the these desk. These are show mugs. I will fill it with water and drink from it. These are show mugs. It's a mug. It contains liquid. I can drink from it and then wash it later and put it back on the desk. Anyway, you've got Kyle Pitts, the tight end, that they've moved all over the formation, including, you know, a ton of snaps at wide receiver. He's the leading receiver yesterday. Then Cordero Patterson, who you said, he's a receiver that they play at running back and move around. Tajay Sharp, actual receiver. Hayden Hurst, actual tight end. Lee Smith, offensive lineman playing tight end, had three catches for 30 yards. Lee Smith, like Kyle Pitts is is a huge human being. And Lee Smith like goes up to celebrate with him and look, makes him look like a child. Has there ever like, been... They're the same position in theory. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that good. Kyle Pitts and Lee Smith both play the same position. Right. Completely different body types and skill sets and the whole thing. But um, Calvin really didn't make the trip for personal reasons. Russell Gage didn't play. For all those reasons you said, like the Kyle Pitts breakout game, the way they're using Patterson, I'm... I'd be encouraged, I think, with the Falcons offense moving forward once they do get those other guys back. I know they have all played together at one point this season, but maybe they are finding their groove in this new offense under Arthur Smith. Yeah, but the problem is they need to... All the people that they're getting back also need to be integrated into this whole thing together and figure out... like They're in a similar spot where, like to the Eagles last year, where sort of man for man, they have a lot of talent at those positions, but figuring out how the the puzzle fits together, I think, is, is an issue for them. So... In a weird way, like reducing down their options actually makes them better right now. Like instead of figuring out where the ball goes amongst all of these talented playmakers, you have two guys that are capable of doing anything of damage for you. Okay, Mike Davis is not a bad running back either. So two guys that are running back, now you have to figure out how it works. Okay, that's relatively easy because our options are limited. Now when you start introducing Calvin Ridley and other guys to the mix, I I think in a weird way it gets more difficult to to reassemble the the puzzle again. So 
I, I am still encouraged, but I, I would caution that that's not necessarily as easy as it seems to just add oh, more bad, talent. Not to a it. bad problem to have. Yeah, Plus, well. Mike Davis running hard out of the backfield. Um, so, look, I think the I think the Falcons are trending in the right direction. Again, Zach Wilson, uh, after showing off his arm the previous week against the Titans, no big time throws, had a pick, you know, cover two safety. He's just a little late, so the timing, timing and accuracy. Uh, not completely coming together, you know, play for play with Zach Wilson. Another below average great game for him. And uh, again, I thought I thought the Jets would play a more competitive game in this one, mm. but they didn't. So, twenty-seven twenty. Anything else on this one? A uh, great game from Elijah Vera Tucker, who I've been kind of impressed with over the first few games. Like his pass blocking hasn't been great, though it was good in this game. Uh, but his run blocking is really good. Like particularly on anything anything zone related like his ability to move and just he's, he's able to cut in front of guys and, and wall them off in the backside of zones he's been quite impressive i think over the first few games and this was his best game so far yeah absolutely uh over 90 plus looks like we're gonna have so he'll be he'll be in the running for uh pff team of the week so keep an eye on that saw eight out. snaps from denzel mims nothing huh i mean nothing. they played him at least he's active Oh, nothing useful from Denzel. So uh, Falcons 27, Jets 20. Which game am I going to next year? How about uh, New England? New England 25, hmm. Houston Texans 22. A game that the Texans looked like they had in hand. They did kind of have it in hand. Um, so many strange things in this game. The first three extra points were missed in this game. There's a point where it's 12 to 6. Kicking yesterday and was Kicking just was generally insane. Absolutely. A, an absolute brutal. ton of missed extra points throughout the entirety of the NFL. At one point we'll get to later, nobody could make a kick in Green Bay versus Cincinnati. Kicking in general yesterday was just madness. We've, we had a battle of the rookie quarterbacks, Davis Mills and Mac Jones. Yeah. Turns out that uh, Bill Belichick, slayer of rookies, the only thing he can't handle is Davis Mills. Now, maybe you shouldn't have overreacted to Davis Mills playing against a good Buffalo defense in a rainstorm last week. No, because I think this is the other end of the spectrum. I think this is the game you don't overreact to. This is the one? I don't understand how it happened, but somehow Davis Mills was just hitting everything yesterday. Even the things that were like, uh, Mills, even a prayer. Yeah, I mean, that was the he did kind of, again, I don't know if I want to give him credit for it or if it is more of a prayer, but he did kind of chuck one up to Chris Moore. Yeah, you know, Chris Moore just goes up and who doesn't just know. like go up, grab the ball away from the guy, but then like scampers away forty yards and yeah. like turns it into something huge. So that turns into a huge play. Davis Mills, even at Stanford, though he had this element of um, you know a lot of young quarterbacks are comfortable playing outside of structure, and with Mills, I thought there was there was too many plays where he tried to play outside of structure, and when you do that, it just it's it's kind of like how I described Daniel Jones, like willingness to play while getting hit. When that happens, you have uh, volatile outcomes. This was the this is the good end right. of the outcomes from Davis Mills, where there was just a lot of pocket movement and out of structure plays that worked out. And then the Texans kind of treated this like they were underdogs. You know, as much as we've talked about well, David Culley and they were some of his, I, they were. But I'm saying they they approached it the right way as underdogs. Yeah, and they, they were did also, the going for it on fourth down at, at times when maybe they would have you know tried to cough and corner one and the whole thing and dialing up you know flea flickers and all that right. kind of stuff. So like everything went in their direction in terms of the things they were dialing up. Davis Mills did hit all the throws. Like he'll grade well from this game. Um, he got lucky on a couple of occasions but he also made some nice plays um it did kind of feel like you know the patriots spent all their time and attention 
on Tom Brady a week ago, and then they just kind of assumed this one would go their way, and it was tougher than that. But it was so weird that, like, you spent this entire game being like, what is happening? Davis Mills is carving up Bill Belichick's defense, and it felt like, you know, the Texans are springing this giant upset, and then, you know, the Patriots end up winning anyway. Patriots Um, also had four-fifths of their offensive line out for this game between injuries and COVID. And the Texans' offense should have won this game, but their defense was steadfastly refusing to cover the middle of the field at all. Our friend uh, Seth Payne, Houston radio host, he was on my, he was on my one of my all-time favorite teams, the '99 Jags. Good yeah. old Seth. He had uh, a great quote that sums up the Texans' defense. It said, "The Texans are opening up a quaint little bed and breakfast in the middle of their defense." Yeah, I mean that was. That's what it felt like, right? Mac Jones continued to attack it. Receivers were open. Which is where Mac Jones wants to go with the ball anyway most of the time. Like, they they were just giving the Patriots exactly what the Patriots want. And, you know, when you start factoring in Damian Harris fumbling at the goal line rather than scoring a touchdown, like, it could have been more comfortable. Yeah, and Mac Jones, I mean, for years people said when you're facing Tom Brady and part of it's just the Patriots offense, you should be flooding the middle of the field and trying to force those outside lane throws. I would... I would say that the game plan should be the same for Mac Jones. He is definitely most comfortable attacking middle, 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 make him throw fades and comebacks, make him throw those you know lower percentage passes. Mac Jones continues to complete passes at a high level. He's It's funny, man. He just doesn't miss a ton of throws. When he does, though, he kind of puts it in harm's way. Had a couple turnover-worthy plays in there to pull the grade down. But overall, hits the corner route to Hunter Henry for uh, the game-tying touchdown. And then the Patriots drive down for the game-winning field goal, kind of eating up the rest of the the fourth quarter. So uh, Patriots came out on top as they should have. I mm. think coming in, Texans remain uh, feisty, and that's it, huh? Yeah, I'm just – I'm credit to Davis Mills. He played well in this game. But if he spends the rest of this time starting, bouncing between like, ah, there you go, I, I expected him to be bad, and just intriguing enough that he buys you back in for next week, that's going to be annoying. That would be – that's very uh, Kyle Allen-ish. Uh, yeah. Remember when Kyle Allen took over for right. Washington? There was enough good throws where it's like, all right, look at it. We get, there's a future here for Kyle Allen, uh-huh. the undrafted free agent with, with a pretty good arm. Yeah. I think Davis Mills has some of that. Yeah, that would too. be annoying is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Particularly because he's got, like, pedigree of, uh, you know, a five-star recruit. There's always that – there's always that little cohort Much of people. Much like Kyle Allen. Yeah, there's always that like cohort of people. Who are, oh, well, former five-star when he had you know X number of games in college. Of course he's going to look good. He's finally being unlocked. You're like, oh, come on. No, just stop. I'm kind of rooting for this now. Stop. We're not, we can't make Davis Mills Sam a thing. Sam has a prior. He does not want to come off of we that. We can't make Davis Mills a thing. We just can't. It's not. Look, there's only room for one long-necked, freakish quarterback in the NFL, and that man's now starting in New York. Probably. Hopefully not much longer. <laughs> Daniel Jones going to be back out of concussion protocol, I hope. Not the way he was staggering around on the field. Yeah, it did not look good. We'll get to that also as well. Uh, but it's football season, baby. You know what that means. Baby? Did you just call me baby? It's football season, baby, and you know what that means. What does that mean, baby? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show. It's Manscaped. Manscaped are calling me baby. Listen. They write the copy. I read it. (laughs) Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time that you join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF over at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all other trimmers. Go tame that Wildcat offense is what they say. It's the brand new Lawnmower 4.0. We've been here since 1.0, but it's here 
To take you to the next level, this fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 also has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multi-function on off switch that can engage a travel lock and it gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It's all at manscapes.com. The promo code is PFF. Did I mention the trimmer is also waterproof? You can use it in the rain, sl- snow, or sleet, Sam. Use it in the sleet. Yeah. You know, it gets crazy during football season as you get into November and December, but it's not going to affect the lawnmower, the lawnmower 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty with this clipping. I mean, that's a commitment to shaving your nuts if you're willing to break it out during the, the during a snowstorm outside. Just saying the options are available. <laughs> that's all you want is the option. A good company like Manscaped finds pain points and solves them. And that's what the Lawnmower 4.0 does. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscapes.com. Use promo code PFF and uh, go get it. Trademark. Okay. Manscaped trademark. All right, let's. You want to get into some of the the big stories now? I'm not just going to go through the one o'clock games. Let's go. Let's go to Sunday night football right away. Wow, okay. right to Sunday night football. It's Bills Chiefs. This is what we're reviewing. It it sounded like so. Bills 38, it's 38 to 20. Yeah. Final score. Bills 38, Chiefs 20. Chiefs fall to two and three. Bills move to four and one. Fourth straight win. They lost to the Steelers back in week one. They haven't lost since. It felt like it, everybody was. There was a changing of the guard in the AFC. There's a new leader. In the AFC. See. What? I don't know. Carry on. Did, did we get a little caught up? Good for the Bills. Good win. Did we get caught up in the moment a little bit too much with the this? Moment. What's I that? mean, like, the, the Chargers are also 4-1, and one, and they already beat the Chiefs, and they're, they're in the same division. We've crowned the Bills kings of the AFC. And there was points uh, on the broadcast last night or on Twitter last night where it felt like a Chiefs eulogy. And I'm not ready to uh, yeah. Googleize the uh, the Chiefs. To what? Yeah. Zoolander. No. Um, I find this a very difficult game to take things away from. So I was kind of thinking about this oh, last don't night. Don't give me this again. I was thinking about this last night. And uh, we're just, you know, Sunday night football ends. In addition, normally it's kind of late, but add on top of a, you know, weather delay. And then we got to get up in a couple of hours to come in here and like start recording the podcast. Yeah, the game just ended like three hours right, ago. Right, at the ass crack of dawn in the morning. So you're like, all right, I could really use the ability to just brain switch off, go to sleep because we're already on limited numbers of hours. And the more my brain t- thinks about the Chiefs right now, the less sleep I'm getting. Um, but going into that game, I thought, look, when you look at the – you could make an argument statistically – that going into that game, the Bills had the number one defense in the NFL and the Chiefs had the number 32 defense in the NFL. And I don't think that either unit is reflective of that position. Like the Bills had faced this sequence of terrible offenses um, and terrible quarterbacks, so were artificially inflated. The Chiefs had faced a gauntlet of really good offenses, so were artificially depressed. They're somewhere in the middle, closer to each other than one versus 32. Now, Buffalo... uh, their offense rolls. They do exactly the same against the Chiefs as they had done against any, or the, as everybody else has done against the Chiefs. And then Kansas City continued to struggle a little bit on offense and continued to turn the ball over. So, in terms of like, so that went, it didn't back up what I thought was going to happen. I thought the Chiefs' offense would show up um, and show Buffalo something that they haven't really seen so far this season and cause them way more problems. But, A, 
they continue to turn the ball over at a ridiculous rate. And even when it isn't Mahomes making mistakes or when it's not running backs fumbling, it's like Tyreek Hill bouncing a ball from his hands to a defender. Um, and that look, was weird. I mean, that, yeah, certainly is. And the thing about turnovers is you can't dismiss them entirely as luck, but they are very freakish. You can't necessarily predict, you know, bad quarterbacks will make turnovers all the time. Good quarterbacks won't, and sometimes they just go on a run where the ball gets turned over a ton. Um, and then the other thing is, like, the weather was a real factor. Um, so as much as Kansas City's offense did struggle, like, how much of that was real and how much of it was the giant rainstorm that they then it ended up playing in? the entire game, though. It was raining for a chunk of the game. Yes. Second quarter, chunk of the second half. Right. But then but when, I don't, when it starts to downpour in the second quarter, it's going to be wet for the entire game. Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen still threw the ball pretty well. Yeah, but look, I mean, Josh Allen, the other thing about this is, like, this was Josh Allen's best game of the season. Like, he's going to end up with a 90 grade. And I think what one takeaway for Buffalo is, when Josh Allen has a 90 grade, they're going to put up a ton of points. Oh, they're it's really good. really difficult yeah. for Buffalo not to be incredibly successful when Josh Allen has a 90 grade. Um, so I think it's validation for Buffalo. Like, their defense did really well. They did exactly what they've done all season, even against a better offense, even if they also benefited from those turnovers and the weather. Um, but they did exactly what they've done to everybody else. So they, I think, are showing that they're legit. On the offensive side, when Josh Allen plays like that, it's it's almost impossible to stop them. Like they are, they're the match for any team in the NFL if Josh Allen plays that way. And that's kind of the same thing that was true last year, but in the playoffs he didn't. Like he had his last two games in the playoffs last season were grades in the 50s. Right. If they had been grades in the 90s, Buffalo may be the team in the Super Bowl instead of Kansas City. Yeah, let's be realistic here. Allen's had two good games really out of out of five so i mean as as great as he looked and he looked like an mvp candidate and a lot of what people expected and it was on prime time so you know it gets yeah multiplied by five right um it was it was allen's best game of the season and does that how much does that coincide with just the chief's defense though is an absolute disaster the big at one point josh allen had seven completions for 219 yards and some of those were really nice big time throws other ones it's like stefan diggs I don't know. He runs right by the defense, has 20 yards of separation, kind of slows down. Did he not think anybody was there? It slows down, could have had a touchdown, but um, the defense is bad. And attacking down the field uh, was an option over and over and over again for the Bills. It was fascinating how much the QBs, both of them, Allen and Mahomes, were effective on the ground, either as scramblers and what Buffalo came out doing, right? Remember there was a point where Allen had a ton of rushing yards a couple years ago, as did Lamar Jackson, and we always had to specified they're doing it differently Lamar's the designed runner he's a part of the run game Allen is more of a scrambler well the Bills are all of a sudden unlocking Josh Allen as like QB power QB counter and keeping defenses on their heels that way that's a new added weapon for the Bills not that they hadn't shown this in the past but it was a huge weapon last night Josh Allen in the designed run game um, and then as a scrambler as well so and then you've got Dawson Knox becoming this big play threat, Emmanuel Sanders, Stephon Diggs. So the Bills just continue to add uh, new weapons and new wrinkles to that offense. So I thought that was huge. The Chiefs' defense being horrible. Um, other side of the ball, though, too, there was some, you know, Chris had some, some blueprint talk last night. The Bills sitting in cover two, a lot like the Ravens did. A lot of this, let's rush four 
and play coverage. And it's not like the Bills had inc- incredible pressure uh, for you know against Mahomes. They had their moments, but as much as I have complimented Mahomes and the Chiefs for being patient in games like this, they're getting a little antsy. Does it feel like they're getting a little antsy? Like there's there are clean pockets where Mahomes is still just moving around and everything's off balance and his accuracy's off. There's there's something off still with this with this Chiefs offense. Or yep. maybe I'm over exaggerating just last night. No. Mahomes is off though this year. Yeah. He has not played as well. And our narrative coming in was this offense was playing better than Mahomes has been this year. That started to catch up a little bit, at least statistically, last night. And I think you're starting to see a product of so many turnovers. Like the Chiefs. It's one thing when you're the Chiefs offense and you're rolling and you know that even if your defense is garbage, you just need the ball back and you're going to score. Um, it's another thing. And even when teams are trying to take away the big play, like you can, you know you'll score quickly because even if you have to do it through 10 plays, it's not a problem. All of a sudden now, you know your defense isn't stopping anybody and you started to cough the ball up and give it back to them. And I think that is where you start to put them under pressure and suddenly they dig a hole and start to feel like they need something special to happen. They can't just be patient because somebody's going to drop the ball or somebody's going to fumble it or somebody's going to conspire to turn it over. I think that might be starting to catch up to them now. And the the number of turnovers they've had, what are they up to? They're double digits now. They had 15 minus last seven season. To, like, from, you know, when you add up. Yeah, yeah. How but the many offense turned it over. The offense has turned it over, I think, double digits now. And they've done it like 15 times all last season. Yeah. So, that I think is what's starting to happen is that the fact that they they know they're turning the ball over is heaping pressure on top of this offense again. Like and on defense, I don't understand why Daniel Sorensen is still playing. Like he's never been good. No. But he at least was sort of part of a system that was functioning and everybody was playing quite well. And you could make one of those cases of, hey, he's the glue guy, you know? Even if he himself isn't that great. He's the glue guy. He makes everything else stick together and function. Now it's just like he's the dude in the middle of all the breakdowns, and it's probably his fault. And he's not actually bringing anything positive to the table, so why are we still doing this? 130 yards on three completions into his coverage. Again, a lot of that, the Dawson Knox stuff. Yeah, just... And that would be one thing if he was, like, dominating in the run game or, you know, crushing things in and around the line of scrimmage. Like, no, he's just a liability everywhere. Which, like, okay, that might have been okay once upon a time, but how have we not got a better option here? Yeah, man. not It's not great. Um, now, And it was even worse yesterday because, you know, Chris Jones wasn't playing, who's like their one good defensive lineman. Um, you know, when they started, it felt late in the game, they were just on the precipice of maybe getting back into it. And then Frank Clark, like, falls himself on top of Josh Allen, gets a rough in the passer penalty, which extends a monster drive, and that was probably game over. Yeah, I mean... Uh, By the way, people were criticizing that as like a weak call. No, he's... He drove buried, him into the ground. He like, drove him. And what I don't like... What I, what I don't like when watching a game, though, is when it does feel like the offense got... I mean, they got bailed out. I mean, Josh Allen threw an interception. Let's not forget about that, too. He threw an interception. It was third and long. It was basically one of those, like, punts, you know, arm punt from deep in your own territory. But this is... It's a huge play in the game, whether it's a turnover or a, a punt, Right. What feels uncomfortable when watching the game, even if you're not a fan of either team, is when it's so tough to stop Josh Allen. It's so tough to stop Mahomes and the Chiefs. And you stop them on first and on second, and it's third and long, and it feels like you get bailed out. There's always a holding or roughing penalty. And it doesn't feel like the offense is earning it. 
that's what just feels uncomfortable and why people were upset about it. The actual call, I think he didn't hit him late. It was because he yeah, there, spiked him. There are weak uh, roughing the passer calls where, you know, if a guy is running at the quarterback and he hits him after the ball's gone and they both fall over and his weight kind of lands on him, right? It's so hard to get out of that because you're just heading in that direction. Inertia is taking you there. And what they're asking you to do is essentially mid-fall, figure out a way of either falling to the side or getting off him. Or it's that's so hard. And I have a huge amount of sympathy for the for reacting to that as a weak call. Clark got there late and then picked him up and drove him into the ground. Like you didn't need to fall him at all. Yeah. You actually found a way to put him to the ground and then jump on him. Like that was just dumb. And I, frankly, I have no earthly idea why anybody would be complaining about that one as a weak call. Now, if that happened in like 1994, of course it wouldn't have been called, but that's not the NFL that's played right now. So it was absolutely the right call. So that was that was the turning point in the game, right? That keeps that drive as third and 12, whatever it was. It was an interception. Yeah. It keeps that drive going. Uh, but again, when you give a Bills offense or a Chiefs offense those extra opportunities, usually it comes back to bite. And, so. that, and that's sort of showing that like those are the plays that Kansas City needs now because they're they're in this hole where their defense isn't giving them any. It's not giving them the drive that they used to have last year. Like they actually need that call to go their way so that they can try and get this thing going. It becomes so. When I was thinking about this, I was like, obviously, I got the prediction for this game completely wrong, right? And you want to figure out why and, and what the learning from that is. And I do think that Buffalo is probably better than I thought they would be and are not a product of just their competition. They've obviously, they're obviously capable of doing it against better opposition. I still think that Kansas City is a significantly better team than their record. And I'm, it becomes really interesting because now you start to get this question of, well, how many games can they screw up and still be legit, right? Yeah. Even if you think, like at some point, it actually becomes a playoff problem for them. You know what I mean? Like, even if you yeah. think they remain, like, they've just caught a wave of bad luck and at some point this will right itself, it needs to right itself soon enough that they can still make the playoffs and go on a run. Like, even if they have to do this the hard way and they lose the division to the Chargers and they get in via a wild card and then they have to go on a run that way, like you still need the opportunity to do that. And you don't have that many more games to I blow before you get that. 17-game schedule, Sam. They'll, they'll make know, it up. Here's but at the moment, they're below 500 in, a, in the tough, one of the toughest divisions in football. Understood. I mean, they've got Washington next week. But, you know, there are some tough games over the they got the Titans in two weeks. Packers on November 7th. You still have to play the Raiders twice. For whatever that, you know, they, they, the Raiders beat the Chiefs last, week, uh, last year. You've got the Cowboys on the schedule. A couple Broncos games. Chargers again. Who knows what the Steelers are, Bengals. I mean, there are games that are uh, win uh, losable, say, for the Chiefs. Here's the other issue, as Adam Schefter just tweeted out to uh, remind us. The Chiefs' injuries from last night. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, knee, that looked really bad. I mean, he got rolled up like a pretzel. Tyreek Hill has an unspecified knee injury. Joe Tooney has a fractured hand. That's their starting left guard, so he's almost assuredly out. And Travis Kelsey has a stinger from that... Um, Mahomes kind of threw a little bit of a hospital ball. Was it Jordan Poyer that went head-to-head -head with Travis Kelsey late in the game with about four minutes left in the game? Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I mean, a stinger is not a long-term thing. You, with a concussion, though, if you have a legit concussion, you can miss a game. Um, the Tyree kill, though, the, that knee injury, something to keep an eye on for sure. Joe Tooney, fractured hand, something to keep an eye on. Um, I want to push this maybe to the Wednesday pod if we remember Kansas City's team building effort, right? I mean, all, we spent all offseason only talking about the offensive line. 
is that what's really starting to come back to bite them. There's just not enough depth uh, at playmaker or most important, like not most importantly, but on the defense, right? There's just not enough playmakers on this defensive side. Yeah. I mean, I think when you lose, like losing Chris Jones is game changing. He's the one player on that defense that actually can completely transform games. Tyron Matthew as well, I guess, but that requires the ball going in the right area for him to be able to make the play. Chris Jones can impact the game every play if he's playing, particularly if he's playing inside, which I think they're starting to come to the realization needs to happen. You take him out, the defense isn't going to stop anybody. Um, the bigger concern, like the fact that their defense has gone back from being averagely bad to being terrible, it's obviously not a good development, but they made the AFC Championship game with a defense that was complete garbage. So that doesn't, I think, explain everything that's happening. Yeah. The problem is that that's happening at the same time as them catching this wave of negative variance in terms of turnovers and like costly plays on offense. That can't happen. Like you don't have, you can't, both those things can't happen at the same time or the Chiefs won't win enough games. I think the Chiefs will be okay in the long run. We'll see how much these injuries come back to bite. I think they'll be okay. I think Mahomes will play better and all that stuff. Um, Bills finally gave up their first 20 plus yard completion, but it was just one for five from right. Mahomes. So the Bills defense, um, they took a step back last year, but this is the McDermott defense that they had from 17 to 20 uh, to, to 19, basically, where Downfield opportunities were limited. They kept things in front of them, and they just did a really nice job. So uh, awesome all-around win for the Bills. A statement game, and I think they're right up there. Yeah, I asked on Twitter, are they the kings of the AFC? Let's not forget about the Chargers. I think the Bills and the Chargers are both right up there. Chargers also moved to 4-1. and one. We'll talk about that game in a minute. It was like football from 2030. But first, another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook. Another great deal here. They're an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and new customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say it's a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, DraftKings will, leave, will not leave you empty-handed, Sam. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and you win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Do you understand how good of a deal this is? It's pretty simple. Sign up, get your $100 in free bets. It's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One for customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, there are some people also who said, you know, the Chiefs, they lost handily last night, but they're a couple plays away, you know, from being four and one or whatever. They're a couple plays away from being one and four. Yeah. If Browns but that's the nature aren't of turnovers, dropping right? punts. I mean, the Browns, the, the turnovers worked for sure. the Chiefs in week one. The Browns play the Chargers yesterday, and what a crazy game. Chargers win 47 to 42. We saw it all in this game, including the Cleveland Browns carrying. The Chargers in for a touchdown, Austin Eckler. I think that's the first time I've ever seen that. We've seen before uh, teams deliberately give up a touchdown late in the game, right? The idea being the, the opposition has the ball down in the shadow of your goal line. The time is running out. The opposition essentially wants to milk the clock as much as humanly possible so that you don't have time to answer once they inevitably score. Um, so you'll see teams every now and again go, well, if you're going to play that game, we will let you score the touchdown 
because that gives us 90 seconds for our offense to be able to answer. That is our best chance of winning this game. That you'll see happen quite a bit. What I've never seen happen before is Austin Eckler carry the ball. So he carried it the first time, got down to the one, gave himself up, carried it again, and sort of ran in to a lot to a bunch of bodies and was trying to find a way of like stopping right not going any further and john johnson and other browns essentially went no we are not going to give you the opportunity of stopping the one we are going to drive you into the end zone so that you do score whether you want to or not so they the browns pushed the pile into the end zone to concede the touchdown voluntarily so that their offense got the ball back with 90 seconds left on the clock needing to go down and answer with a touchdown of their own to win the game and they didn't it was well first off the the touchdown thing that's why as a running back Eckler was smart to go down on purpose and then he was kind of doing the smart thing like I don't want to run to the end zone he's kind of dancing around and taking time he didn't realize they were going to pick him up and mm. you know like Rudy by the way this the is also zone. the downside of being like a 200 pound dude as opposed to like 250 it's harder to pick the could 250 you, guy up like Derrick Henry yeah like it's Derrick Henry and they're trying to drag him in the end zone and he's just right. you know planted I mean no. Derrick Henry can just do that like child thing of like the dead weight you know yeah just try and carry this in whereas Austin Eckler it's like, yeah, you're not that hard to push into the end zone. So this just, um, there, there were uh, the Chargers missed two extra points in this one too. This was another kicking disaster. Um, this just felt like new age football. It felt like we were watching a football game from 10 years from now. So this, yeah. Both like, coaches, fourth and three, fourth and four, fourth and five, doesn't matter where on the field, they're going for it. Remember a couple of years ago, we saw that uh, Rams-Chiefs game that was just high, like insane scoring. Yeah. And we were like, this is the new NFL. This is what the league is creating. This arena league stuff of just answering scores back to back. And it kind of was, but this felt more like it because this was endless scoring and they were all doing smart things. Decision like, making. Right. In there going too. for it on fourth down, voluntarily conceding a touchdown late in the game so that they could get the ball back and answer and all those kinds of things. It was the it was all the scoring of the that Rams Chiefs game plus all of the the smart analytic driven decision making stuff that was giving you a better chance of winning the game like that this was the new NFL Chargers head coach Brandon Staley uh continues to he says all these things that get the uh analytics Twitter you know, hot and bothered and everybody else like that's the thing like, yeah. he's saying smart things but also connecting them to the also old school a, football right stuff. also say look we got to be physical we have to run the ball but you don't need to run the ball to set up play action um what was it uh sack he said you know the sacks overrated thing. pressure is not sacks yeah so everybody comes out i've been saying that for years we're all yeah exactly nice job brandon um so that was so that was great um it was a fun game i think on both sides the browns first off let's talk browns for a minute here they're they, they have these games where their offense is just incredible i mean they had over 500 yards of off both teams did over over 500 yards of offense but the browns run game looked unstoppable nick chubb 7.7 .7 yards per carry uh kareem hunt had 61 yards and two scores as well chubb just weaving in and you know all through the chargers defense and whether you're i think that's part of you know the run game if you're playing a chargers team that's inviting the run and they've got guys up front playing one and a half gaps and the way they tend to do that when you make that one really good block all of a sudden you have the numbers advantage and the browns do a really good job of that getting the numbers advantage in the run game so they took advantage of it um, and that's a big reason why they put up 42 points the browns running backs had 259 yards after contact yeah not bad <laughs> 259 that's a lot of yards yeah not bad not bad at all and then offensively you have uh david uh 
Najoku? There has been Njoku. some kind of moratorium or like some kind of like behind the scenes adjustment of his pronunciation of the, the pronunciation of his name. He went from uh, Njoku to Najoku. And I'm not sure there was like a conscious reason for it or if people just started doing it. It's Njoku. Yes, that's what I think it is. But many people now don't call him that. So, anyway, he had a 71-yarder. Seven catches for 149. The Browns continued to spread the ball around because it was uh, that tight end that Ninjoku. Ninjoku. <laughs> Can I give you a great stat? And Peoples I'm Jones with the top two receivers. Go ahead. I'm stealing this from ESPN Stats and Info because it's good. Um, we, we don't normally do that. We normally rely on our own data. But this one's great. Uh, the Browns are the first team in NFL history, including the playoffs, to lose when scoring 40 points with 500 yards and zero touchdowns, right? So that's pretty impressive. But you know how many games we're talking about? Like five? No. Before this game, the NFL was 442-0 and 0 in that scenario. The Browns made it 442-1. and 1. Oh, okay. With that, uh, with that combination? Yes. That's, that's new age football, man. 442. Somebody has to lose. They are the first team in 443 attempts to lose with that scenario. All that said, so, and then, you know, Baker finishes 23 of 32, over 300 yards, in part because of that big 71-yarder, a couple touchdowns, passer rating of 122.5. Herbert's passer rating was 122. But when you're watching Baker and Herbert, did you? it, it feels different to me, right? I mean, Herbert has this carry-the-team type of feel, and he benefited from some busted coverages, too. Let's, yeah, no doubt about it. Mike Williams getting behind the defense a couple times. It feels like of all the receivers on the Chargers, Mike Williams would be the one easiest to spot in terms of running loose in your Cover secondary. the 6'4 guy. The 6'4, 220-pound dude running in the middle of the field should be easy to spot. Yes, I would agree. Um, yeah. But so it feels different between Baker and Herbert, yeah? We need to talk about that last drive. The Browns concede the touchdown deliberately. Now you've got a high-scoring big game with 90 seconds left on the clock. Go down and score. And they make an absolute balls of it. Um, and when it happened, because that was like a, this was a signature moment, right? Baker Mayfield is kind of going toe-to-toe with Justin Herbert in the game. Now you get your shot. 90 seconds. This is your Tom Brady drive, right? Yeah. Make yourself something that people are not giving you credit for. Uh, and when he, they got the ball, 90 seconds, I said to you, zero chance. There's no way they're doing it. And they just, they made an absolute mess of it. Like they spent... I mean, I've talked before about how it's when you see Tom Brady or Joe Montana or Peyton Manning, when they start these drives, the starting play is often something like small and inconsequential and, you know, gains six yards. And you're like, well, what the hell is that doing for you? Yeah. But what it's doing for you is making sure that, like, even if you make a mess out of second down, third down's manageable. Just and you can just you yeah. can just make sure that you don't go three and out. Because what you don't want to happen is to be suddenly facing third and ten on – the you know that that first series of that drive and just be in a hole so it's just getting it started and making sure that you can pick up another first down and then start moving somewhere um but they just spent like all the time moving to to, to midfield they're like you've pissed away most of your time now you don't have enough like once they got the midfield it was just like hail mary's in the end zone like it was just one of the worst managed drives I can remember seeing in a critical situation. Yeah, and, and again, I th- that, that was what felt uh, that's what felt different to me. You know, Baker had that uh, game-ending interception against the Chiefs back in Week One. That was his other 
big defining moment. And, and I think at, at this point, you know, again, the stats were fantastic. You just said this is the first time an offense has ever been that efficient and lost a football game. So it's not like all all blame is on Baker Mayfield here. So they like, but they, there's, but there is this like when it's not him relying on the system in in somewhat schemed up plays. Can he go and carry the team? And I think there is that little bit of difference between a Baker and what Herbert's doing right now, what Josh Allen's doing right now, and what some other top quarterbacks have been doing. And they started that drive exactly like we talked about. The Montanas, the Bradys, like Baker Mayfield passed to Higgins for six yards, right? Fine. But they took 20 seconds to, to run the next play. The next play was a three-yard play to Kareem Hunt. Like, okay, now you're wasting time and space. Like, that play does you nothing. Yes. That, in fact, that play hurts because now you're really wasting time. It took another 20 seconds for them to get to third down and run that play. Then you pick up two yards. Like, what? Okay, at this point, what are you achieving? Now you've blown another 10 seconds with the timeout you took, and you're at your own 36 with half the time on the clock gone. Now you're, like, in a deep hole, so you get another 10 yards. Now you're at your 46, and now you're just taking shots into the end zone because there's no time left. Like, the first play was fine. The second, third, and fourth plays needed to be bigger chunk plays. They took you don't... Off, right. At some point, and, and we saw this with the you know, the Vikings took two big plays to get into field goal range. They run, the, they run the big in, the big in route. At some point, you have to attack the middle. You have enough time to attack the middle yeah, of the field if you're once going or twice. To, if you're going Seam to... or big in. If you're going to blow 20-plus seconds on a play to, you know, to use the middle of the field, which you can still do, it has to be a bigger play than three yards or two yards. Like... If you're going to attack, otherwise, like a three-yard or two-yard play is not necessarily the end of the world, but it has to get the hell out of bounds quickly yeah. and then move on to the next play. You can't. The one thing you can't do is what they did twice, which is get a, no, a nothing play over the middle of the field that doesn't stop the clock. Like that it, is just death. That's the other thing. If, it, if it's second and four or whatever it was at the time, like a, a three-yard check, a, a, an incompletion is a better play yes. than a check down with no time. That outs. doesn't stop the clock. And that is where, again, we always talk about Brady and Peyton and all these guys just have a feel for the game flow and they attack it properly. And I'm just, I haven't seen that from Baker yet in these two minutes, you know, in those right. must have it situations. Um, Herbert, on the other hand, I think uh, Mike Renner might be writing on pff.com that Herbert's the leader in the MVP clubhouse and all that stuff. And there's a, there's a strong argument for that. I mean, Herbert's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. He threw for four touchdowns, ran for another, and big play after big play, even with the busted coverages, you're still we're still talking about, hey, when he needs to roll out and make a play and accuracy's been fantastic. Herbert played another outstanding game for the Chargers. Yeah, he has been really good. He, I mean, he's definitely in the MVP conversation. Um, I don't know if I'd put him at the top of it, but it is Baker Mayfield is not a bad quarterback, but it is interesting like how strong the contrast between the two is. Um, and how much more confidence you would have in Justin Herbert delivering in those key situations than you have with Baker Mayfield delivering, even though, you know, right up until that point, they'd essentially been going toe-to-toe. Um, like that is the difference between those truly elite quarterbacks and the guys that aren't. That's Here's one. I mean, it's uh, fourth quarter, 350 left. Chargers are down a score, down seven, third and five. You see the pocket pr- compresses a little bit. Herbert rolls out. Throws the ball about 30 yards downfield on a rope and flips the field, Sam. That's what Herbert does. Uh, on a rope to Keenan Allen for a huge play over your buddy, Troy Hill. I mean, those, again, those are the types of 
those big time throws in gotta have it situations that Herbert continues to come through on. I mean, and those are the types of plays. And again, I think I think Renner's point in this whole thing too is the Chargers have played. I mean, they beat the Chiefs. You know, they yeah. In in, in Herbert's going toe to toe with the Chiefs and everything. And part of it is the schedule and who you've played and uh, what they've come through. But um, uh, beat the Raiders. You know, a couple division games. So. Uh, are the Chargers the kings of the AFC right now? Of the AFC? AFC, because we're talking about Kansas City's down a peg right now. They're two and three. The AFC has Buffalo at four and one. You've got the Chargers at four and one. We'll see if the Ravens can go to four and one here on Monday night. But uh, both of the both the Chargers and the Bills have quarterbacks that can carry a team. And even though the Chargers defense got absolutely gashed, they've, they've at least shown flashes of having a reasonable defense at times this year. I don't know if they're the kings of the AFC, but I think the more interesting thing is they're now putting themselves in control of the AFC West. Like, we expect Kansas City to bounce back at some point and start picking up those wins that they're dropping right now. But the Chargers are now two games clear of them in that division. Yep. They have a 2-0 an record in the division. They're a game ahead of Denver and Kansas City, or a game ahead of Denver and Vegas, rather, um, two ahead of Kansas City. They're putting themselves in a position to take a division that everybody essentially assumed Kansas City was going to win at the start of the season. And they may still do it, but the job is becoming harder. Yeah, it really is. And again, I think you know Chargers putting themselves in position with you know, going forward in their own territory. I mean, like at their own 30, man. They're going at their own 30 and just holding on the ball and saying, score as many points as possible. And this is similar to Baltimore, like the last couple of years, is whatever about how Lamar Jackson or the offense or the defense is playing, you know that they are stealing percentage points in win probability versus everybody else because they're making those smart calls. The Chargers are doing that with Brandon Staley. You know from hearing him speak that he understands how all this stuff is working. That collection, the the defense, the offensive scheme, just the way everything is functioning, is probably only going to get better the longer he's there, and that is hugely helpful. I'm not, you know, you know me. I don't like to make. Uh, I like to make bold declarations, but not to overreact. The AFC with Mahomes in Kansas City, with Herbert, with the Chargers, with Josh Allen in Buffalo. Uh, Baltimore with Lamar and the Bengals and Burrow and Browns and ba- I mean it's it's good I mean it's good AFC man it's it's going to be tough and there'll be some ebbs and flows so I'm not there's no declaration of Chargers or Bills but right now they look like they're in control they look like the best teams in the AFC at the moment by the way one last point on this um, Rashawn Slater went up against Miles Garrett quite a lot in this game gave up his first sack of the season an inside spin move to Garrett um, on that inside spin move Austin Eckler was chipping Garrett on the outside. And it was one of those plays where he kind of chipped him so far, to, sort of reset Garrett so far to the inside once he readjusted to it that Slater kind of couldn't keep with him and got inside and made the sack, right? What I love about that is Slater is such a badass that he went and told the running backs to stop chipping. Yeah. It's like, I feel better. I'm more comfortable one-on-one with Miles Garrett on the outside than I am with you taking a shot at him and like readjusting everything and causing problems. Like this dude is a rookie five games into a season going up against like a hall of like a hall of fame caliber player right now in miles Garrett playing out of his mind saying, you know what? Leave me one-on-one. with him. I, I am this. more yeah. comfortable, more comfortable being one-on-one with him. than I am you getting involved and screwing me up. Two things on that. We have data that You're does right. suggest that, that is the case that actually that chipping can actually be more detrimental to the tackle 
and uh, I was uh, I was just talking to a, a, a high end NFL tackle last week about this particular situation about how you do have to change your pass set if you are expecting outside help and prote- you protect the inside a little bit more it, the whole thing it, it but it, it can throw you off right I just and love I think that they are more comfortable not having that extra help I think a lot of players would feel that I love that five games into his career not only He's does he feel it. it but he has the confidence to go and tell yeah. them to stop doing it. Like yeah, that's that, great. That's next level hero stuff. And against Miles Garrett, like that, I endless respect for Rashawn Slater. So impressive win for the Chargers, 47 42. Uh, next week's NFL games, week six, there are some games where that look a little lopsided, but the Chargers are playing the Ravens, I believe it is next week. So All right. be, that'll be a good one coming up. All right, let's get through the rest of the slate here. Let's go uh, Saints 32, Washington football team 22. Saints with uh, with a big win. The, the Jameis coaster continues. The Heineke coast, coaster continues. Mm-hmm. Huge game for Marshawn Lattimore at corner for the Saints. Yeah. Great battle with Terry McLaurin. Marshawn Lattimore was in on seven forced incompletions. Seven. That he either got his hand on or forced the receiver out of bounds or knocked the ball, whatever it was. Marshawn Lattimore with a huge game for the Saints. And, uh, yeah, it was a big win for the Saints, you know, just trying to keep pace in the NFC. They moved to 3-2. Uh, and two. It was. This, is, this was a game that was kind of – there are a few quarterback encounters that are more like fun per play than Taylor Heineke against Jameis Winston. The either one of those guys drops back and you have no idea what's going to happen, good or bad, in either direction. Both guys, it was chaos. And ultimately, like Jameis was less detrimental to his team than than Taylor Heineke was. Jameis is is running this weird thing right now where it feels like every throw he attempts is a bomb. But there's actually enough quick game stuff in there where it, it isn't. And his average depth of target was only like nine yards. It just lands right somewhere in the middle. Right, which is which is kind of where it's been throughout the season. But it feels like every time he drops back, it's just like a 50-yard heave. That's, that's what makes it confusing to describe a quarterback outside of their system because Jameis had been the opposite previously. When we used to always talk about him throwing the ball down the field and being aggressive, it wasn't him throwing 50-yard bombs all the time. It was him throwing right. 10, to, 10 to 25 yards, yeah, right? constant intermediate, deep intermediate, kind of target. Over, over, over. It would, you know, and those, are the, those are your move the chains passes, which, why, which is why Jameis would always have those games where he'd pick up 15 or 20 first downs and turn it over a couple times, and it was you know, things working against each other. This is a little bit more of a downfield passing attack with, like, like you said, quick game. But uh, Jameis is either throwing touchdowns or interceptions, Sam. Yeah, pretty he much. Got stepped on on that one interception, fumbled in the pocket, so you still have – uh, turnovers in there, but uh, overall he's got a passer rating of 108, a quiet passer rating of 108 for Jameis. He had a Hail Mary in there too, which always helps the stats. Yeah, I completed Hail Mary, which is great play by Callaway, actually, in the end zone. Yeah, um, this was... Uh, we back in on Callaway now? I don't know. Are four, we? four catches for 85 in the two touchdowns. One of them was... Uh, Certainly in this game. One of them was a Hail Mary. Uh, Deontay Harris, man, I mean you know me with my speed receivers the fact that Deontay Harris can get behind the defense as often as he does like a good like a John Ross uh Harris with the 72 yard touchdown the Saints the Saints can be dangerous with those with those playmakers they finally used Alvin Kamara out of the backfield five catches for 51 yards and a score and he had another one on the ground so maybe starting to come together or is this just the Washington defense just being poor still defense is so bad it's unbelievable like the number of busted plays as well within that defense is incredible um, I was just looking up Jameis's passing map from the last season in Tampa Bay, and now you can you can actually visually see the difference of where he's aiming on the field. In Tampa Bay, 
there's this like square in the middle of the field, that intermediate level where he's just constantly peppering it. And in New Orleans, you can almost see like two bands of depth, yeah. like the short stuff just beyond the line of scrimmage and then the deeper stuff where he's targeting the ones that feel like the deep heave every, every other play. So like this is the Sean Payton effect. He has managed to modify the way Jameis Winston plays the ball. You can't entirely strip the aggressive streak out of him in that when like when you when you turn him loose and kind of give him an option he's going to want to go deep or at least as deep as the options are on the play involved <laughs> as deep as the options are right but you can overall like modify where he's throwing the ball like you can through what you're calling and through the play designs you can turn an average at the target of 11 into one of nine and make him more efficient because of that this is actually kind of best case scenario for Sean Payton and that offense. Um, but yes, Washington's defense, it's bad, like really bad. It's well, actually impressive how bad it is right now. Washington's given up 155 points this season. That is the second worst, second most in the league behind only Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. It's it's uh, Point differential is always one of those numbers you kind of throw out there just to, just to gauge where a team is, luck, unlucky, various things like that. The fact that the Chiefs have a negative point differential right now yeah. is alarming through five weeks. But uh, Washington is, you know, minus 32. So it's um, it's not what we expected defensively. Or was it? Remember, we, we ask this question every week, you know, going up against better uh, offenses. But it's not like the Saints are a juggernaut. Right. I mean, I offense. certainly didn't. Um, I, I think it's definitely a huge part of it is a product of facing better offenses. But, like, something is ill in that defense. Like, they're just across the board nowhere near where they should be like even the even the defensive line whatever about like okay it's not going to look the defense isn't going to look as good because they're playing better quarterbacks who can target the deficiencies they're not getting pressure at the same rate like the defensive line which is supposed to be the strength is not winning the, at the rate they should everything's bad uh taylor haneke with his third straight uh, his third game this season now well it's really his second start this season grading under 52 overall passing grade under 50 uh to, to me just too many passes i know every now and again he can zip it in there but i do think the the lack of arm when marshawn Lattimore's getting his hands on so many passes or able to break up so many passes i think that's where that lack of velocity comes in for heineke and you're seeing him just miss he makes a lot of impressive throws throws with anticipation don't give me this look i know you're a heineke fan but you can see the lack of arm strength showing up on no, the field i can't at I least i don't think that's his problem you know, you don't think that's, a, I mean, decision-making too. The three three yes. turnover-worthy plays again. Right. Decision-making, I think, is his issue. But right when now. you're talking about the plays where they can be completions, it's not a bad pass. It's not It's not inaccurate. It's just not getting there in time. There are a lot of those passes in there as well. I mean, there's also a couple of plays where he is getting it there on time. Like McLaren didn't get his foot down the sideline twice, I think, that happened. Like, I don't think arm strength is his problem. Yeah, um, but if you get it there a tick sooner, McLaren's not off the ground. He wasn't off the ground. He just didn't he drag was. a foot. He was off the ground. There was nothing wrong with that throw. Nothing whatsoever. It was a fine throw, but you st if it's there quicker, it's probably a completion. That's the ball. Also, if McLaren just drags his foot the way an elite receiver is supposed to, it's a completion. Like, you can't can't possibly blame the throw for that. It was a good play by. It was a good play by Lattimore. Um, is this officially a, a lost season for the football team here? They're, I mean, they're still they're two and three. Cowboys look like they're taking control of the NFC East. It's not completely lost, but it's uh, not yet. I disappointing mean, start. They're here. one and zero in the division. They would need they need to start 
beating some teams and you know beat Dallas. Um, beating the Giants and the Falcons. Yeah, so it's not good, but the way that division is, it's not dead yet. Uh, again, the Saints moved to three and two. I still don't know really what to make of the Saints. Nobody does yet. So will we ever know until maybe they play the Bucs and we have a little bit of a, a test for the Saints? They could be. They a team. crushed the Packers. Got got beat up pretty bad by the Panthers. Beat the Patriots by a couple scores. Lose to the Giants in overtime last week. I mean, we got to chart out the coaster, man. Yeah, the, it is a straight roller coaster ride for the I mean, Saints right now. It's the Jameis experience. They might be a team that's just trying to make the playoffs and then hope they catch fire at the right time. Yeah, I mean, every, when they win, you see the you see the pieces. You know, you see what they have and. Defense generally makes it tough on opposing offenses. But, all right, Saints move to 3-2. and two. Uh, Let's go to this Packers-Bengals game. What a crazy game. 25-22, missed kicks galore here. Uh, the Mason Crosby experience. Look, uh, full disclosure, I do not pay attention to kickers and punters. Yeah. You know, when, when there's eight football games on, I'm trying to watch as many football plays as possible. So you once consider them football plays. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I'm trying to watch as many – 11 on 11 football interactions that aren't kicks okay. as possible. So when teams line up for kicks, I don't, I don't care who's okay. rolling well, out to make the kick. Let me give you just, some information. Did they get it or not? Mason Crosby heading into that game had made 27 straight field goals. Mason Crosby in the last two years had missed two field goals. Uh, Mason Crosby in the last four minutes against Cincinnati missed three field goals, including what, two that would have been game winners. Um, I, uh, plus a, an extra point earlier in the game. I don't I can't remember a kicker who's been as successful and as has never like been dumped from that team. When did he have the yips the last time? Like 3 years ago, was it? He felt it, like it was like 3 weeks ago. He's had it at least two other occasions in his career where he just looks like he's completely forgotten how to kick a football. What did he move? Miss 5 one game? And normally that's where a kicker like that's where you dump the kicker right like graham gano has had those runs where it's like oh graham gano's forgotten how to kick bye bye and then he catches on somewhere else and people remember graham gano was a good kicker who just had like a really bad day at the office um but that's like normally when a kicker does that the guy gets dumped from the roster it's like kickers are really good right up until they miss then they fall to pieces and that team has to get rid of them because you can't piece that back to get it needs like a hard reset which is you're fired um <laughs> but for some reason crosby just keeps sticking through it and they roll through the, the the bumps which just not only does he like miss them but there are occasions where it's like have you kicked before like this looks like you know when you get like a random fan out of the stands and you get him to hoof a ball in the general direction of the goalposts. yes and it's like wobbly it's no there's no like the end over end to it it's just like some weird flight of a football in the direction of the like that's what Crosby looks like kicking sometimes and yet somehow it's like yeah sure we'll give him another shot at this and then eventually kicks one through and he wins it also on the other side you've got the Cincinnati kicker missing kicks but not just missing missing and thought he thought he made one you're like kicks it it yeah. goes right next it to the goal the, post, um, the flag the flag hit the flag which was on I the think, other outside of the yes it was post. like fluttering to the outside of the goalpost clip the flag i think also clip the post because it made like a it made the doink yeah. sound um like jumps away celebrating thinking he's made the game winner he had an actual doink at what 54 yeah late uh whatever it was and then everyone was like uh you, you missed that that didn't go in <laughs> you haven't won the game i i don't know what to do with that like this was just madness i hate 
I hate kickers. Yesterday, if you were of the opinion that, like, you know, kicking, it's time, Never to, get kick. Rid, it's time to get rid of kicking in the NFL. It really is. Yesterday was your, your day. Oh, boy, was it your day. Anyway, the um, – And I have some time for that as a concept. Just just get rid of it. Nobody wants – particularly extra points. Like, who wants you know, games friend, being decided uh, by that? Our friend Justice on uh, Twitter always likes to say throw field goals is his idea. Have somebody throw them through the uprights instead of uh, kicking them. That's his – his idea that I'm not totally on board with, but he's at least thinking outside the box. I okay. Back to the Green Bay game. Uh, another Rodgers Devontae Adams show here too. Devontae Adams has 206 of the Packers 344 receiving yards. Of course, the key play though was Aaron Rodgers to Randall Cobb in overtime. This is I think this is the one. I the, here's what's tough recapping the game. How many times did a team make a big play to get into field goal range? Yeah, and I and can't remember if that was the missed or the real the miss or the real one. I'm pretty sure this is the real one, the game winner. Uh, a third and long, great throw to Randall Cobb under pressure to um, Aaron Rodgers to Randall Cobb, his free agent signing. His Ni- trade. Neither one of these teams. So the the Cincinnati Bengals couldn't stop Rodgers to Devontae Adams, and the Packers couldn't stop Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. Like, it seemed that, like, both those guys were completely uncoverable throughout the entire game. And yet somehow, despite most of overtime as well, the two teams combined for 47 points. That's it. It's like, how, how is this not a higher-scoring game when neither team can cover the opposing it's, number one wide receiver? It should have felt like the Browns and Chargers game, right? Yeah, it, it should have been like 40-42 um, with just both receivers going off and no chance of either of them being stopped. The like Jamar Chase had his biggest play was this kind of uh, breakdown where Burrow kind of starts moving to his right, finds Jamar Chase coming deep across the field, hits him in a play that I'm pretty certain should have been broken up. Like was it uh, the arm was there? Was it Darnell Savage who kind of dived across the front of it and went to like swipe it down with one arm and just missed with the arm and it went right through him, touchdown. Um, But Chase was awesome. Devontae Adams is awesome, and yet somehow it didn't result in more points than it did. I like uh, Big MGM in the comments saying, this felt like a game that should have ended in a tie. It felt like it at one point that it, uh, we're just going to tie here, I mean, Bengals and Packers. Here's what it really feel, felt like to me. It's the upstart Bengals against the always-been-there Packers with Aaron Rodgers, and, and over and over again, it's like, well, these are the games Rodgers and the Packers always win. But then they kept letting it slip away and letting it slip away, and it was like, all right, here's your... Like, the Bengals are that close, doinks and just misses and all that stuff, from being 4-1. and one. The Bengals being right there with the same record as the Chargers and the Bills that we're talking about as kings of the AFC. The, the Bengals, for uh, for a team who's just trying to turn the franchise around, they, they really missed this opportunity here. Noted kicking expert, would you have even attempted that last kick? What was it? Um, Two minutes left in overtime, Crosby. fourth and one from the Cincinnati 32. It's a 49-yard field goal. Crosby? Yeah, and he's just missed three straight in addition to an no, extra I, point. I pro- at that point, I probably would have gone for it. Right. Now, you're, the way you described Crosby, though, like good for the majority of his career outside of like these three-game, two- and three-game stretches multiple times in his career, right? It's been? Yeah. Again, I'm losing track. At least three times. He's had he's, games where he's missed five field goals. Including right? this one where he's just forgotten how to kick the ball. I would I would get it to extra point. I would try to get it to extra point territory and keep it in Rodgers' hands. And I was I was a little surprised actually at that point that they that they went for it. At that, that point the in the game, went for the kick. if my kicker was missed. They were right. Yeah. If my kicker missed three straight field goals and an extra point earlier in the game, at that point, 
I'm honestly thinking like we are scoring a touchdown or nothing. Like I'm not sending him out again. Yeah. But yeah. not only did they send him out, like a 49-yard field goal is not trivial, particularly no, not. when your kicker can't kick. Outdoors after everybody's been missing left and right. Um, uh, the bottom line here, I think, too, though, is like from a Bengals perspective, man, they really do have something in Jamar Chase. It wasn't just, you know, 70-yard yeah. touchdown. There was just – he's the go-to guy. He's and a like legitimate, spectacular plays. Not legitimate just, game changer. Like not just – it's not just volume, and he's not just sort of getting open. He's making incredible plays at the same time. Like, he looks like – it looks like LSU Jamar Chase. It's it the does. same guy. Um, Burrow had a couple passes that he would want back. The, the late interception was weird. It was a miscommunication. There was, there was a crossing route where – I think it was Boyd went – just went the opposite way of where Burrow was. I don't he think was, he even did that. It, so did. No. Did what it was, though, is – he he settled down and there's a linebacker to his outside and Burrow wants him to work away from the linebacker to the inside and Burrow just never knows if there's a linebacker to that side which is why he isn't doing that I mean he would have if he stayed on the route if he he did his little shimmy and then he continued the way Burrow was throwing it it would have been a bang bang collision with DeAndre Campbell it wasn't as bad as it looked is the bottom no it wasn't as bad as it looked but not I don't think the receivers wrong to he, the receiver like didn't run the wrong route or anything he just settled in the space because there's two linebackers yeah, he's yeah, splitting yeah. two no, linebackers Burrow was expecting him to work away from one linebacker's leverage never knowing that there's a second one where he's leading into so like it's a bad play by Burrow but it took me like I saw three replays of it and couldn't figure out who the intended receiver was yeah because it looked with. like he threw it directly I mean he did I throw thought there was directly. like another crosser somewhere that I hadn't seen enter the shot yet right he did throw it directly to Devondre Campbell there was some some weird stuff happened in there. And by so. the way, he's playing out of his mind in the first like, yeah. five weeks of the season. Huge pickup for the Packers. I'm, I, I, I talk about the point differential thing. The Packers are, are negative for the year because they did lose that 38-3 to game yeah. against the Saints for whatever that's worth. I do have – it's nice coming out of the game being like, man, you can't stop Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, but uh, can, do we continue with that narrative? It's a little – that's a little top-heavy. Even though I like what Aaron Jones is doing running the ball, I think A.J. Dillon – it's starting to show off. Remember when Derrick Henry kind of like flipped the switch and became big and A.J. Dillon starting to flash a little bit, 49 yards and a touchdown through the air. Anyway, Packers, uh, huge game for them, moving to 4-1. And, one and, you know, even after the slow start, they're in the mix, man. They're in the mix for, you know, the bye and everything that they're looking for in the NFC and what they expect it to be. Devondre Campbell hasn't had a bad game yet this year and has a grade of 85-ish when his previous career high has been 73. Yeah, Falcons and Cardinals' career was underwhelming at best for Campbell. So big pickup so far for the Packers. Uh, let's go Eagles 21, Panthers 18. Panthers in control for much of the game. But the Eagles pull it off, man. Yeah. This was a weird game for both teams did some interesting things on the offensive line in terms of switching sides. So Mitchell Schwartz was tweeting this, that – Jordan Mailata is a guy that you just signed to this big extension as left tackle. He beat out the first-round pick that you drafted to play left tackle, and yet he's the guy that you're asking to flip to the right-hand side and play right tackle. Um, and look, they've when they first got him, they trained him at both uh, positions. He played right tackle, I think, in 2019 preseason. So it's not like he's never done it before. On the other hand, this is a dude that started playing football in like 2018. Yeah. And has just figured out like what he's doing at left tackle. I'm not sure I'd be asking that guy to flip sides, but that's what they did. 
My lad actually played okay, other than like a two-play stretch where he got wrecked by Hassan Reddick on back-to-back plays. And if like that was all you watched, you were like, oh, this was a train wreck. Those two plays did stand out. Yes. Yeah. And Andre Dillard actually played okay at left tackle. So from that perspective, it kind of worked. Then on the other side, the team, the Carolina Panthers, it's like, well, we have four-fifths of an offensive line that's not very good, but at least we have Taylor Moton at right tackle, who's one of the best right tackles in the NFL. So I think for this game, we should take the one good player we have and flip him to the left side and make everything worse. And that's what they did. So they played the one of the best right tackles in the NFL at left tackle, where the last time he played there was like two games of his rookie season, where I'm pretty sure he was bad. And then they moved him back to right tackle, where he's been good forever since. And then you take a college left tackle and play him at right tackle because you don't trust him to hold up at left tackle. Brady Christensen. Where there's there's really no difference. Unless right. you're talking about the actual rushers that he's facing in yeah. that particular game. Which, by the no way, difference. is a movable thing. Like, right. Even if that was true, and it's like we need to keep him away from player X, there's nothing stopping the team from moving player X to his side and screwing I you mean, up anyway. This is what happened with the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. They didn't have – they. They compounded things by putting right tackles at left tackles in the whole thing. So Panthers with a pass-blocking grade of 36. They gave up 25 pressures. Everything was bad. Like, they literally made the only good player on the offensive line to the same standard as everybody else, which is to say awful. Um, so the, pa- the Panthers' offensive line got wrecked. Sam Darnold was under pressure a ton. Sam Darnold plays worse under pressure. This was like – this was the cautionary tale from the Panthers before the season. We were like, that offensive line is so bad. I don't know that it will matter that they have great receivers and a good offensive scheme and all those kinds of things. This was the game where it came back to bite them, and at least a portion of it was their own creation by taking their one good player and making him bad. Well, it, it was a Darnold comes back down to earth game, but it was also this is the Eagles have these games too where their defensive front does dominate. Say what you want about the it's Panthers' a good defensive front. front, yeah. Yeah, but it was when you have a dominant pass rushing outings from Javon Hargrave, Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox. I mean, all of those guys got after it. All of those guys, when you get your, when the stats come out, premium stats 2.0, all of you elite users, when the stats come out, go check out the Eagles pass rush grades. They're all green. They're all excellent. Uh, They won this. They won this up front, you know, as even though the Panthers, again, it it was, it it felt like the Panthers game, they they were in control for most of the game. It was their game to win. They were up 15 to 6 going into what the third, uh, 15 13 into the fourth quarter or late in the third quarter. It was 15 to 6 late in the third quarter. Um, felt like more as the Panthers letting this one slip away, but credit the Eagles, you know, staying tough and, and winning the trench battle was the key here. Yeah. The, it also felt like there was a lot more there to be had than the Eagles took advantage of. Like they had. Jalen Hurts connected on one big play to Quez Watkins, I think, like a deep crossing route. That was a really nice throw under pressure. But he was just so off on the deep stuff. Like, had one interception, like, was missing a couple of plays that were just there to be had. And it's like he gets – he had a free play at one point. Kind of scrambled off into right field and then just heaved the ball off the pitch, off the pitch, uh, off the field. Just missed the field. Yeah. Like – if there's there's no point in having a free play if you're not even going to like it literally doesn't matter if you throw an interception anymore like this is the one play where whatever you do just put it somewhere where somebody can catch it it doesn't even matter if it's your team that catches it the one thing that you can't do is miss the field 
And that's exactly what he did. Like, it's it's almost like he just gets excited when he sees a big play and just like, adrenaline kicks in and the arm sends it five yards beyond where it's supposed to be. Yeah, but overall, Hurts is, I don't know, I think he's playing all right. He's making more plays in the pocket than we expected. But he's throwing the ball better than I expected, I would say, so far this year. He had another couple touchdowns on the ground. Uh, your boy Devontae Smith leading the team again with 77 yards. I, and I like the I like the Quez Watkins addition, right? Whether it's a 90-yarder a few weeks ago, 53-yarder yeah. here. He's been, remember the, the year that they drafted all speed from Jalen Rager right. to John Hightower to Quez Watkins. Watkins has become their speed guy. Um, I think it'd be nice to have another – if Rager could be a little bit more consistent as a legitimate compliment to Devontae – and then Watkins as the speed guy, Dallas Goddard, and whatever Ertz has left at tight end. But starting to piece it together, starting to get it together. And Rager was the guy that got hosed by him missing the field. Like Rager, yeah. Rager had his arm in the air saying, give me a chance. Yeah. Actually, like manhandled the cornerback out of the way and was probably going to make the catch in the end zone for a touchdown if his quarterback had just put the ball in the field. Instead, threw it off like three yards in, off the sideline. Yeah, I think the, the bottom line here – uh, Eagles pressure package. I mean, not pressure package, just winning up front. Sam Darnold, 29.9 passing grade, went under pressure, a couple turnover worthy plays, two actual interceptions, few sacks. It was, uh, yeah, just an ugly offensive performance, really, for the Panthers after they got up early. Um, I, I think also for the Panthers, like we're starting to see them come down to earth a little bit in terms of when they face better opposition particularly like that defense hasn't been as nasty at all they got absolutely wrecked last week in the trenches they lost again in the trenches this week even though um that philadelphia offensive line has still had shuffling to be done and it's not their elite starting five it's not the five they want to have um and carolina's defense just hasn't been the same when the when the level has gone up yeah so the the defense definitely coming back down to earth and here's the when I mentioned on the preview show, Sam Darnold, his his grade was starting to normalize a little bit. Now it's really normalized. Passing yeah. grade is 66. Exactly his, where it always is. His career high is 64 in 2019. Now I know it's his, he's coming off his worst two games, but after three pretty solid outings for Darnold, yeah, it's not great right now for the right Panthers. and the, but a huge part of this was that offensive line which had been no i get solid it. and i think he had done a nice job overcoming that and again even in this game you see a cover two shot like he's got the the flashes there but right being able to consistently do it throughout the season um and i want to give him a little bit of a pass because of the because of the pass blocking in this but um it's it's not it's not the same narrative as the point right than it was a few weeks ago yeah i mean it's changed for the team for sam darnold for everything um and it makes that decision to trade for stefan gilmore even more interesting like one of the certainly things, does one yeah. of the things that said is that we think we can contend and we can make the playoffs and go on a run and be good this year i mean uh, this doesn't say you can't but things are looking less good by the week if this continues panthers tied for second now in the nfc self along with the saints have the tiebreaker of course for whatever that's worth right now at this point in the season eagles also tied for second in the NFC East, both uh, tied with Washington at two and three because the Giants are one and four now. Uh, let's go to the Lions and the Vikings. Poor Dan Campbell. He was very upset at his press conference. It was sad. It, the Lions offense could not do a thing in this game. And, uh, I mean, 
Alexander Madison fumble late. Gave him a shot, man. It gave him a shot. The Lions took a late lead and then gave it right back up. Vikings with a 54-yard field goal to win it. Yeah. That's very un-Vikings-like, Sam. It really is. Um, Yeah, we were talking about this before. It's like, yeah, look, Dan, it's sad. You know, it's, it's a disappointing way to lose a game. On the other hand, you should probably look at it as as you never really had this game to win in the first place. Like, you know, it required an Alexander Madison fumble, which, by the way, looked like it was forced by C.J. Ham, his fullback. Yeah. Like, they, they ran into a kind of pile, and Ham was, like, trying to pull him forward and almost looked like he pulled like, his arm away from his body and sort of let the ball, you know, come loose. I, it, it's a pile of bodies. It's difficult to see exactly what went on. But it did look a lot like the football was forced by his own fullback. Um, by the way, in the in the spirit of stealing stats here, was excellent. this on? Um, what we got? Was this on Sunday Night Football or on um, the pregame show, Football Night in America? I don't know what you're looking at, so I don't know. Anyway, the Lions—they're the first team to lose on a game-winning field goal of 50 plus yards with no time left on the clock twice in a single season. <laughs> So that was the Justin Tucker 66-yarder in yeah. yesterday's uh, 12 y- – by the way, this one was 12 yards shorter, 54, uh, than Tucker's. But as I'm saying, like, you should look at it as this was never really your win to, to have in the first place, right? You were losing the game, it was done, and then a fumble gave you a shot that was never really there. Now, what I really did like, though – so, you know, Dan Campbell is like a walking meme, right? On the other hand, he's actually doing a lot of smart things, and I am – endlessly i'm an endless fan of any coach that when they score late in the game and they have the option of kick up an extra point to tie it up and play for overtime or go for two and try and win the game here i am always a fan of the team that goes for two and tries to win the game there now look it didn't work out because there was enough time in the clock for the vikings to go and answer with a field goal yeah on the other hand if you'd kick the field if you'd kick the extra point and gone for the tie Nothing changes. That's the same situation. Like the only difference is if Minnesota misses, you're going to overtime as opposed to you win the game. So the Lions did go for two. They got the two. They were in position to win the game and then gave it up. But what know. I'm wondering though, if, if when you're, are, are the Vikings any less aggressive if it's tied? No. Is there any chance that they're less aggressive? You're trying to win. You've got, because you're only looking for the field goal. It's not like they're trying to score the touchdown. In which right. point you might get a little bit less crazy, but you're trying to move. But there is always a chance forty yards and that get the a Vikings field goal. just say, "I oh, will get you an overtime here." Or if they miss one pass, I hey, will get you an overtime. And I don't they, think it changes either way. The only difference is instead of tying where it game, does where it does change though is it's not four down territory, um, and then that's not the exact thing that that's not the, the exact thing that played out. But it changes a little bit. They're going to be a little bit less aggressive. To me, because they can't go out on fourth down and various things like that. To me, those only change if you if you force the requirement to go from a field goal to a touchdown. That's when the aggression changes. If you're giving a team a chance to win, I, I think it, they they play it the same way. Uh, but that's but that's what happened. You know, Cousins makes a couple big throws over the middle of the field to get them into field goal range. Uh, Cousins played another pretty clean game. I know. Uh, the Vikings are doing this. It feels like uh, the way I've described the Patriots a little bit, where I don't, I don't think you, you know Cousins continues to play well, but there's there's more points to be had for the Vikings that just aren't that they're ju- they're just not getting there, right? Yeah. Um, Justin Jefferson, the star again, seven catches for 124 yards. And this was another game. 
another game like the Green Bay or the Cincinnati game where it's like they can't cover this guy. Why are we not scoring forty points? Like what what's right. the what's the hold up here? Because um, early in the game him. was like if he keeps if he gets if they, if this if the offense is just feed Justin Jefferson, the Vikings are going to put up a million points because Detroit just can't stop it. Uh, from a Lions offense perspective, there was just their lack of receiving options. Quintez Cephas and Amonra I'm, I'm, I'm St. Brown. I mean, they're nice complementary players and everything, but if they're your dependent players and TJ Hawkinson or whatever, that's why you're seeing a lot of third and long screens and just not just not great offense for the Lions. That was a, what we expected from them. Coming. Yeah. They scored 17 points in part because you get the late fumble. And they get, they, they're pretty much, it's pretty much a nine-point game. Uh, from the Lions offense. Spectacular one-handed interception from Eric Hendricks. Oh, that was fantastic. Absurd play. Like that was that's one of the catches of the season. Like forget like what, forget position. Like if you were if you get to the end of the year and you're like what are the, what were the catches of the season? You're going to have all these plays from wide receivers and that pick from Eric Hendricks just like sticks out one hand into the window between him and, and a corner and ends up not just breaking it up but like picking it off ridiculous play and then Christian Darasaw saw his uh, first play of the season I'm pretty sure more than exceeded all of the rookie snaps that the Vikings have had before now combined yeah uh, played 28 snaps um didn't look great but frankly the option the alternative is Rashad Hill so what the hell like I would imagine he starts from this point on and that can only be a good thing I think for the Vikings all right so Vikings 19 in uh you know, they almost, uh, man, if the Vikings fell to one and four, man, trouble. They're two and three, still lurking around, though. Uh, let's touch on some Dolphins-Bucks a little bit. Bucks, another one of those games, this was like the Falcons game a few weeks ago, where it's like the Bucks are clearly the favorite. They kind of let the other team back in, and then it was like, no mas. It's over. So the final, what was it, 45-17 Bucks? Yeah. The there was a point in the second half where Miami pulled within a touchdown in this game that ended 45 to 17. Uh, Tom Brady's stat line though looked like looked like he was playing in the Big 12. 30 for 41, 411 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, it wasn't necessarily his best game throwing the ball, but this was, you know, Antonio Brown for a 62 yarder running through the defense. I mean, they picked apart this uh, this Miami defense pretty easily. And Mike Evans had some really Mike Evans had some really good plays where he made Brady's throws look more accurate than they were. He's got this incredibly impressive ability to kind of maneuver his pace and body to the point where he can like change, change the ball location by like a couple of yards, you know, just at the catch point by the way he maneuvers himself and the defender trying to cover it. And when you get to, when the ball arrives, like, Oh, look at this dime by Tom Brady. And like that wasn't that great a throw, but Evans made an adjustment that not a lot of receivers do just out of sort of instinct and his ability to, to do that there it's one thing to adjust yourself in the course of Which running your route talking about the i thought both of them he, he did it um but to be able to do that and maneuver the corner trying to cover you at the same time is not an easy thing to do and evans is really good at it uh tom brady had 30 completions 25 of them went for a first down or a touchdown 25 of his 30 completions first down or a touchdown most first downs of any quarterback in the uh in the league in a game this year so it was it was another dominant effort the other sneaky addition for the bucks here is leonard fournette playing 
pretty well, like actually slipping tackles. And he made uh, Jerome Baker miss a few times, the highly paid coverage linebacker, you know, whiffing in the open field. So uh, Bucks take care of business and uh, offense looked really, really good. And this is without Gronk again in this game. So you're just going to completely ignore the uh, the great plays that Jacoby Brissett made. Jacoby Brissett had multiple plays. Really, There was one play where he should have been sacked twice <laughs> and he still completed a pass. He had another play, beautiful dime in People. the end zone. Was it Preston Williams? Couldn't I mean? Yeah, Williams say, uh, had a nice little sideline catch early on too. But uh, a dime just past Richard Sherman. Sherman interfered with Preston Williams. Is what happened, and uh, couldn't haul it in. Great People. throw by Jacoby Brissett. People on Twitter and Mike Renner bitched that I called Jacoby Brissett fun to watch. I I defy you to watch this game and come to any alternative conclusion. It's not always good, but it is fun to watch, damn you. It just is. I mean, there are very creative ways of checking down. There, there are very <laughs> creative ways of throwing the ball 5.7 yards per drop back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, Jacoby, yeah, yeah. I told you yesterday, Jacoby Brissett leads the NFL in PFF grades on throws that take longer than four seconds to come out of his hands. Now, that's most of his throws, oh, but still, it is fun to watch. It just is. That's a fact. I will not be told otherwise. Uh, for Miami, they moved to one and four here, and I wasn't expecting them to win this game. But right. for a team that we've we've lauded the secondary, we've lauded the secondary investment. They should have played a little, should have played this one a little bit tighter, I think, or at least not given up twenty five first downs, and thirty completions. <laughs> sure, right. But I think it just shows the problem in coverage, right? Like you can be a really good coverage player, and yet if you're going up against Antonio Brown and Mike Evans and like those guys can just beat you anyway sometimes. If that happens, your investment was for nothing. Like Byron Jones and Xavier Howard each gave up over 100 yards. They each gave up at least six catches. They each gave up at least a touchdown. They each gave up a passer rating of at least 149. Like if there's not much more you can do than throw all the resources at that position and then hope your really good coverage guys hold up. And if they don't, you're kind of boned. Yeah, another one of those games where you, just, you see the Bucks' star power, right? A.B. goes for over 100 yards and two scores. Mike Evans over 100 yards and two scores. We talked about him. Godwin has another seven for 70. And uh, Gio Bernard gets in the mix for a touchdown as well. So uh, Brady going to – it wasn't uh, with all the Herbert MVP hype and all that stuff. Brady quietly throws up 400-plus yards, five touchdowns, another really good game. He remains our highest-graded quarterback by a wide margin. I think he'd be the MVP for me yeah. so far at this point. Mm -hmm. um, Bucks 45, Dolphins 17. All right, what else? We got a few more games to a get lot through more games. here, huh? We're just, we just got a lot to talk about. How about uh, Tennessee 37, Jaguars 19? I think I predicted a comeback for the Jags. They were gonna, they're gonna offset all the negativity this week with Urban Meyer. Yeah, how'd that go? Yeah, poorly. Yeah? Poorly. Okay. Despite um, 149 yards and a, a long of 58 from uh, James Robinson on the ground. The, the, like, the rallying of the team seemed to take place entirely when Urban Meyer threw a challenge flag. And everyone, like, he got, I think, multiple different players, like, gave him the old ass slap, you know, for, oh, yeah, good work, Urban. Yeah. He, Urban had, he looked like he was uh, auditioning for, uh, like, he was trying to send a message to Tony Khan. Oh, yeah. Trying to get back on AEW. Because remember, Urban was a part of the show. Yeah, it was in, the, in his show. office. It was in his office. Uh -huh. And uh, Urban looked a little uncomfortable in that first yeah. AEW shot. Him and Charlie Strong, they were, they were a part of the wrestling show uh, during the preseason. 
But this was like Urban Hat. He's like pulling up the red flag. He's like looking to the crowd. And look at the other. You know, it, was, it was almost like he was, he was trying to get people fired. I, I thought he was going to have the dramatic yeah. throw. It looked like he was waiting for that. But it also, it seemed, I think he was waiting for somebody in the booth to like give him the well, go. Well, of course he was, but I'm trying to build up the, right. uh, but the like, wrestling aspect of it. Evidently, he wasn't getting the instruction that he was looking for. Like, yeah, yeah go or no go. And he was getting pissed off by it. But eventually, he like, throws the flag. And then like that was the, yeah, you know, we're all in this together. We're throwing the challenge flag. It's like, well, okay. But like, it would be more helpful if we were all in this together and like making plays and not losing. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever gets you through the day. Tennessee wins a game without, you know, Julio Jones was out. So you got Marcus Johnson leading the way for the Titans receivers. You know, A.J. Brown's only only three catches for 38. Another, just another Derrick Henry grinded out game, man. You know, 29 carries for a buck 30 and three scores for Derrick. Yeah, it is interesting that A.J. Brown hasn't really done anything yet this year. Like, he hasn't. Now, okay, like a hamstring injury is one of those awkward even, things where even in week one though he didn't look. It was like one or two plays where he looked explosive. Yeah. There other plays where he looked. That's what off, I mean. He hasn't off physically. He hasn't shown up yet this year, and that I mean, our whole narrative on Tennessee was what happens if those guys that they're relying on, the physical freaks that you can't match up with, if they're not there or they don't show up, what else is there? Now, against the Jags, it doesn't matter, and particularly when Derrick Henry is rolling. But against other teams, it does. And if you don't have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown isn't the player that he was his first two years, do you have enough? Like I, and, you know, you have enough to beat Jacks, Jacksonville, sure. But do you have enough to beat real teams? Yeah. It, it, I don't know, man. 37 to 19, the Titans shouldn't be beating them by this, this badly. I, I, thought that, I thought that the Jags were going to turn a corner a little bit and the Thursday night game against the Bengals, who were so close to 4-1. and one, I thought they were going to start moving in the right direction, but the defense is just bad. Yeah, issues defensively for the Jaguars. Their, uh, their defense grade as a team is going to be a 44. Ooh. Run defense grade of, of 29. So they just weren't getting off blocks, weren't tackling. I mean, it was just a simple, another you know, win in the trenches for the Titans here. Not a great Trevor Lawrence game after, you know, has he turned the corner against Cincinnati? Uh, no, no, hasn't, hasn't really turned the corner. Two more turnover-worthy plays, two actual interceptions. Or right? if he did, two? Uh, one. If he did turn the corner, he, one was negated. he turned right back, you know, went run around the corner and then came back again. So it's, it's going to be a long season for Jacksonville. The other question, uh, Jacksonville – LaVisca Chenault only has three targets. Like, you don't have DJ Chark. Dan Arnold's their leading receiver. Tavon Austin's, I mean, he was fine, but Chenault Tavon made, Austin's like a big part of the offense here. Chenault made one of those, like, run-after-the-catch plays that looked like college LaVisca Chenault, you know, yeah. where he was just, like, grabbing the ball and then just skittling people left, right, and center and making, like, almost like the, the C.D. Lamb plays where it was like, how is this working? Why can't people just tackle him? Uh, getting Trevor Lawrence playmakers, though, feels like it's going to be uh, yeah. an, off uh, an off-season priority. It looked okay on paper coming in, but if Marvin Jones isn't as consistent and LaVisca is just a sporadic piece of the offense, then they've got some work to do in that area. Uh, but good job by the Titans taking care of business, getting to three and two in that one. Let's go uh, Steelers-Broncos. Steelers 27, Broncos 19. Big Ben rejuvenated a little bit. Um, I want to go back to the preseason, though. I said Chase Claypool is the most important non-quarterback on the Steelers. Maybe TJ Watt is because Watt was back and dominant. But when you have Claypool go, you know, take a little out route, 
turn that into a big play, 59-yarder. He goes five for 130. When Claypool can take over a game, the Steelers can create offense. They also ran the ball finally for yes. the first time in like 30 years. That's uh, the big thing. But no, I think Claypool's the big thing. It was nice that the Steelers ran the ran the ball, but Claypool is the big deal. Here. The the Steelers' offense was functioning because they were able to run the ball for the first time in a long time. Um, and you know, Denver they got off to the three and zero start. They've dropped two games since. They played real team since and. A little bit like Carolina, they've, they've just been controlled a little bit in the areas that were really good. Denver's defense has been incredible this year, but they got beat up up front. Pittsburgh's offensive line won the battle in the trenches, and all of a sudden they were able to move the ball, and that makes the passing game more dangerous. And then Big Ben you know, shows up with a couple of plays here and there, a couple of deep shots. I don't quite understand why every time he tries to waddle out of the pocket, his instinct is to throw the ball straight to a linebacker. That's not helpful. Um, or fumble. Tried to give Alexander Johnson one. You could, couldn't come up with it. But, like, they they were they were winning up front, and because of that, they were able to keep the scoreboard ticking over, right? The game started off pretty close and hung on quite close. Then Pittsburgh just kept going, kept going, adding some points. Um, a huge penalty on Denver. Leverage to turn a field goal into a touchdown, yeah, um, which didn't help. But then, like, Teddy almost executed the comeback. He did. He, first of all, connected on a deep bomb to uh, Cortland Sutton. That was, the like, the play that Drew Locke makes, you know, and the one you're, like, questioning whether Teddy really has in the arsenal. Teddy's been making Made that play. Year, made another nice play to Kendall Hinton, who had incredible catch by the sideline. By the way... I, he's a great feel-good story, right? He's one of those guys. Quarterback a, Kendall Hinton. Yeah, there's a few players that you're just happy to see succeed, right? This is a guy who got absolutely screwed last year because the real quarterbacks for Denver were assholes and decided to screw around with the COVID stuff and like hang their tracking devices in different corners of the room to watch film together in violation of the COVID protocols. And consequently, all get like excluded from the game. So one of the things last year is like, why is the NFL screwing Denver in this way by making them play the game without any quarterbacks? Yeah, we didn't find this out until... Right. Then it surfaced that that was the reason. Like the Denver quarterbacks essentially brought this upon themselves. So the NFL said, well, no, screw you. If you're going to mess around with this, this is what you have to deal with. So Denver had to play Kendall Hinton, a wide receiver from their practice squad, at quarterback. This was after, remember, they didn't they petition to have their quarterback coach activated as a starting quarterback? Like, that was how ridiculous this was. So Hinton goes out there, goes like one for nine or something insane, just gets annihilated in that game. And you're like, that poor dude's NFL career is going to be one game of getting lit up at quarterback on like half a week's notice. But... He, they kept him around. Now he's making plays at wide receiver. Scored a touchdown. Made an insane sideline grab in this game. Almost got them back into the game. And then Denver had like a, a, a series to goal, goal. Goal to go at the end. Couldn't get in. And Teddy ultimately throws a bad interception on fourth and goal. And game over. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a better effort from the Steelers defense too from what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, good synopsis. Thank of you. what's happening i agree on the the kendall hinton you know the the, the nice story uh tj watt back you know full full board highest graded player on the steelers defense i believe dominant again um they are they are different they are different when tj watt's out there sure and 
and playing the way he is. Devin Bush had a really nice game at linebacker, Cameron Hayward. Uh, so is this the Steelers back on track, man? Is this Can they keep the running game back on track here? I doubt it. There's too much evidence of it not being good. Um, but I think what it shows is, you know, if a couple of things go in their direction, if they do get elite pass rush out of TJ Watt, and if they can run the ball, they're still dangerous. Yeah. If those things aren't there, there's too many flaws and too many problems in this team for them to be good and like dominate. But this is like, this is probably evidence that there's a, there's a floor to how bad Pittsburgh can be this year. The and, other element here was uh, the Broncos team that we have been complimenting all off season, which, which starts in their secondary was just poor all the way around. It wasn't that they got torched for 400 yards or anything. Again, it's just, they let Claypool go for 130. Deontay Johnson had two big catches uh, including the long touchdown, but we're talking coming back, you know, poor grades from Kyle Fuller, Fuller in particular, Kareem got, Jackson, got really wrecked Justin Simmons. Yeah. Fuller had a, a really rough game. Patrick Sertan had a 47 coverage. I mean, we're talking across the board, this really nice secondary, this really nice shell that Denver had been building and gave up 26 points in their first three games. And the whole thing uh, came crashing back down in, in this game. And that, that was a big part that to me, that was the difference. The run game's nice and everything. But the P Pittsburgh created explosive plays in the pass game that proved to be the difference. But I don't think any of that happens if the run game isn't functioning. Oh, look at you. Look at you. On the basis that it hasn't when the run game hasn't functioned so far this season. Yeah. All right, let's go. Uh, we got a couple of these 4 o'clock games here. Chicago, the Bears, 20. Vegas, 9. Speaking of coming back down to earth, what happened to this Raiders offense? Bears win, though. Justin Fields throws his first NFL touchdown. Yeah. What'd you think of this one? Um, the Bears' defensive front has been pretty dominant the last few weeks, actually. Um, like, that was... Other, if it wasn't for the fact that Justin Fields was getting annihilated against the Cleveland Browns' defensive line, like, a story in that game would have been Chicago's defensive Bears front team. is beating up one of the best offensive lines in the NFL and keeping the Browns' offense to, like, no points. Um, and then, you know, the game just kept going and the Bears just Bears offense kept getting hammered and eventually the the team pulled away so it didn't it kind of went unnoticed but that's three weeks now where that defensive front for Chicago has been really dominant and you know uh, the Vegas offensive line is not in great shape and you know Joey Boza was making the point that if you start to pressure Derek Carr things do kind of unspool for him and that's kind of what we're seeing um but obviously, they, should we have seen that coming the same way we saw uh, Sam, Sam Donald playing? You know, he's under pressure a lot. The offensive line wasn't great, but he was still playing well. Should we have seen that coming with Carr and the Raiders? I mean, they moved first round tackle Alex Leatherwood gets kicked inside the guard for this particular game because the pass blocking has not been great for the Raiders overall. Um, wasn't again in this game. Leatherwood also struggled in that move. I mean, should we have seen some of that regression coming just because it's tough for this? this line to hold up sure i mean i think when you're there's a line at which point and if your offensive line is below that it's very very hard to overcome that for any extended period of time and the raiders did for a while and they're probably riding the other side of that now which is just struggling to get things done with that pressure um but i think obviously like okay Ra the raiders not being as good as they looked the raiders struggling on offense that's definitely one story but to me, I think obviously the bigger part is what does Justin Fields look like? Because this wasn't the game that it could have been. It wasn't the Browns game. He wasn't nothing. He wasn't in a completely non-viable situation. Um, 
but you kind of look at the way, look at things that were happening and it wasn't a radically different game plan to anything from those first two weeks. And oh, here really, we go. Here we go. The big difference was their run game was functioning. Like when you start watching his snaps and you watch them sequentially, chronologically, every time the Bears were rushing, they were gaining yardage, and particularly in the first half. So overall, they had 36 run plays, were averaging four yards a carry, one and a half before contact. Those are all good numbers. But in the first half, it was 5.2 yards and 2.3 yards before contact. Those, yeah, they look, those are looked a lot better in that area. Those are really good numbers. With Khalil Her Herbert doing right. a lot of the damage. Yeah, exactly. Without David, Montgomery. Without David Montgomery. So the difference between this, one of the big differences between this game and the Browns game was like every time they ran the ball against Cleveland, they were getting buried as well. Like nothing was working. Whereas in this game, they were able to give Justin Fields like a decent platform and they weren't hanging him out to dry and exposing him to just third and long you know, teeing off from Miles Garrett and all those kinds of things. He actually had something to work with. Um, and then I think as the game wore on and when the run success kind of dried up in the second half, like Fields was actually making some throws because at that point, things had kind of settled down and he clearly wasn't going to get destroyed. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that the Raiders didn't come after him more with the blitz. Uh, I know they don't do that a lot. They, yeah. they rush with four and their front four was doing okay but they weren't like really putting him under the same kind of pressure that the Browns had been able to do that, at which point, you know, dial it up a bit more because I think in every game so far, there's been a play or two where it doesn't look like the protection is set right. Um, and whether that's a feature of the offense or whether that's a feature of fields not being able to set the protections right right now, it doesn't really matter. The point is, it's a flaw, yeah. so go after it. There was still, so he had his first touchdown on a nice little rollout through, through a nice pass up and away from coverage. It, there's 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 still some plays from Fields. Again, I don't I'm not following the Twitter narrative. I know there's people that really really believe in Justin Fields no matter what's happening here, right? Yeah. Um, there's still too many plays in the pocket. He's a little fidgety in accuracy. He threw a threw a lateral backwards out of bounds. He kind of was under, he was under pressure, but he's was he he's, trying to throw that away or was he trying to hit the receiver? I think he was trying to throw it away. Okay, so I'm so he's trying to throw it away. He's got pressure. I don't know if he's completely hit. He's got pressure, though, but he ends up throwing it away backwards. Yeah. Instead of, he was trying to throw it over the receiver's head, who was on a swing route. Right. So he throws it away backwards, for, which is essentially like a guaranteed seven yard loss. You threw the ball out of bounds as a lateral, so it's a fumble yeah. out of bounds. I'm just saying there are those negative plays in there. So he didn't tear it up by any means. This but. was fine, though, right? Like my concern going into this game was what if this looks like the Browns game? And it's it's non-workable, and now you're like, well, what the like? Can we bench him? Like, what do we do? No, now it's just a now it's just a rookie that has right. some good, some bad. Again, exactly. Go listen to the PFF daily today because we described Trey Lance's debut, right. which we'll talk about in a second, briefly. But um, some good, some bad, and you know, exactly you're a rookie, it. finding your way. It's a rookie who's going to have some growing pains, and there's going to be some mistakes, and there's going to be some great plays as well. But you're no longer concerned for him, right? You're no longer saying this could be damaging putting him out there given this kind of defense like the Raiders I mean okay they were missing some players in the secondary and that didn't help but the Raiders have had a really imposing front four and they didn't cause enough problems that you would be concerned for Justin Fields going forward so now I think you can fairly safely say Fields is the guy now let's see how he develops Jesper Jesper Horstead yeah Jesper guy uh -huh. second NFL touchdown second really yeah. and one back in 2019 of course uh I assume that came from Mitchell Trubisky. Let's 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 watch it really quick. Oh God! Uh, who was the only 
So if you're asking who is the only NFL player to ever catch touchdown passes from both Mitchell Trubisky and Justin Fields? Jasper. The answer, of course, is Jasper Horstead. Horstead. It looks like uh, looks like it was Thanksgiving, 2019. Runs a nice little. Oh, what a throw! It was actually a beauty from Trubisky. Deep crosser, put it right on Jasper's hands. Mm. But Jasper is the guy that caught the touchdown from Justin Fields. Would you make of this Raider? Credit the Bears' defense and everything, but this Raiders' offense. I mean, Carr was leading the league in yards, and they were creating explosive plays. I've been on here saying I'm not worried about the Raiders' offense. I'm not worried about their offense. How much worried, how worried do, we, do we have to be about their offense only scoring nine points against the Bears? Who again, they, the defensive front's playing great, but it's not like their, their secondary is, uh, you know, they're not as good as they've been in recent years, the Bears. No. Bit of a concern for the Raiders here. Yeah. Bunch of drops. I mean, it's not good, but I, I, the Raiders' offense, I think, will be functional. It just needs an offensive line to be a little bit better. Um, but I think we're probably seeing that the Raiders weren't as good as they looked the first few weeks of the season. They got some good wins against good teams, but they were riding high at that point, maybe. And now we're seeing, you know, it's not great. Like, Brian Edwards had one of the worst drops you're ever going to see in your life from a really nice Derek Carr pass pretty deep down the field. Like, just stone-handed. Wide open. Clank. Yeah. Like it and, should have come with a sound effect. And Carr's best throw of the game was probably the seam route to Edwards earlier in the game. Right. So there's plays that, that could have been caught. Yeah. There's right. Plays. So there's two of Carr's best passes incomplete to uh, Brian Edwards, who should only be targeted in overtime. To yes. be honest, there are plays to be had that this offense isn't maximizing yet. But when they don't do that, they're, they're they've got some problems. Um, I think they'll bounce back. It's a it's a quirky game. They have enough weapons, but uh, the Raiders. Lose a little luster. They fall to three and two after their big start. So they just lost to the Chargers and the Bears. Uh, by the way, appreciate all the YouTube viewers. Love being here on a Monday morning with all of you. Uh, don't be afraid to hit that thumbs up. Don't Always be afraid. Helps. Don't be afraid. Never be afraid. Actually, go just, just just hit the thumbs up. Five people gave us a thumbs down. Who? Is it, it's definitely fan bases that lost yesterday, giving thumbs downs. Maybe. Maybe they might have been Bills fans. We didn't give the Bills enough credit. Maybe people That's what didn't like happened. you calling me baby. Well, that was that was the read. That was the Manscaped read. We appreciate Manscaped as well. We have one, uh, two more games still. Really, Cowboys and Giants. Cowboys forty-four, Giants twenty. Oh, Daniel Jones. Oh man, he got hit so hard. Um, this game and tra- oh, the one other thing I wanted to add about Justin Fields. He came out, uh, tw- rolled up his ankle, whatever it was. It was another. It was a hit he had to avoid. I, all of these young quarterbacks. He Fields does take did it. Way too many hits. Uh, Trey Lance did it at the goal line, and I know you're trying to. Those guys are trying to score touchdowns, him and Daniel Jones. They're trying to score touchdowns. It's a, it's a run. It's, it, you're trying to get in the end zone. You have to stay healthy as a quarterback, and you can control that to a point. I know the Lance thing, it's like it was fourth down, right? Fourth also, down. Like, Burrow was getting himself killed. Like Burrow, oh my gosh, he got rolled up on. We got rolled up on, and then he went like and then high-low lunatic dive. Like, dude, the first down is not that important, right? I know yeah. you want the first down. This is not the Super Bowl. You just missed half of last season. And you're Burrow. you're not like 100% yet. They said he started the season at like 85%. Like, dude, we can live without this first down. Chill. Yes. Uh, so Burrow, Fields. And they got throat punched. Trey and Lance. Sent to the hospital. Daniel Jones, you have to do. And I know teams are running quarterbacks more and putting them into this position on design runs more and more. But you have to protect yourself. There's a degree. If you're the starting quarterback. There's like, you need to appreciate when it matters and when it doesn't. Like, there is a time where going John Elway, the, the Elway copter, makes some sense, right? Super Bowl, whatever. Like, there are, there are plays where you want to see that from your quarterback. 
There are other plays where you say, we are fine punting the ball here. Don't be crazy. Because when we lose you, we have huge problems. And there's definitely some quarterbacks that don't have a great feel for where that line is right now. Um, In this game, God, the Giants just lost everybody through like freak incidents. Saquon Barkley's injury is one of the most ridiculous accident, accidental freak things I've ever seen in my life. The ball is somewhere like 30 yards away. Plays over. Completely inconsequential. Saquon is like looking to looking at where the ball has gone, just jogging at the end of his route. Crosses with, uh, was it um, Jordan Lewis? Yes, uh, yeah. Just Jordan Lewis looked back. Was right. Like, oh, what just happened? Jordan Lewis, I think, is the end of covering Kenny Galladay, maybe, or one of the other receivers. And they just kind of, they're both looking at the ball, just cross over each other. And Saquon ends up, like, stepping on Lewis's foot and rolling his ankle. Like, just an absolute ridiculous freak injury. Complete accident. And he's gone. Like, done. Down for the day. Immediately. Yeah. Like, picture on the sideline, there's, like, a baseball growing out of the side of his ankle. Ankle sprain, done for the day. Uh, Daniel Jones tries to go truck stick over a defender again at the goal line. And instead of being able to run right over Grady Jarrett this time, just gets himself like obliterated with a helmet to helmet shot from two different guys. Gets up and then just like goes full, you know. That was designed. That was a that was a naked boot, right? Uh, I think that was a naked. He was trying he to. He had, yeah, yeah. Off, it was, was design run. Too? It was a design run play. Gets up and does like the chicken walk thing, right? Just KO'd almost. Yeah. Like referee had to run up and grab him. Um, a I forget who the defender was in Dallas, but there was like a Dallas defender tried to like make sure he didn't fall on his face as well. Yeah. Like concussion protocol, obviously down. So now in comes uh, the, the long naked uh, <laughs> Mike Glennon. Um, to, to, you know, show Davis Mills that there's only room for one long-necked quarterback in the NFL. Um, it's the longest. And then it becomes... It's the longest neck. The, the, the Kenny Galladay... Or not the Kenny Galladay. The, the, Kadarius Tony. There you go. Kadarius yeah. Tony show. Who, by the way, is showing that, like, maybe you should have been feeding this guy all the way along. Like, he is an insane playmaker. He starts making plays left, right, and center, and then gets himself in a fight and gets ejected from the game. Kenny Galladay... Uh, hyper extends his knee and he's done from the game like by the end of this the Giants have nobody left standing Andrew Thomas didn't even start the game because of it like something They've nobody left by the end of this game and obviously Dallas ends up you know getting out to a fairly extensive lead by the end week of five in general I mean it just felt like so many players before before the week were injured right and that you were getting you were already missing a ton of really good players around the NFL um yeah, just to wrap up from a Giants perspective, though, injuries aside, they did realize their first-round pick, Kadarius Toney, can be an absolute baller, yes. right? And he, the quickness plays, I don't want to say, I mean, he just looks like a very good NFL athlete. He has freakish instincts with the ball in his hands, and he also has route-running skills to play. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Dude, By the he, way... He had he, 10 catches for 189 yards. And he's going to get himself in the doghouse because he swung a punch at somebody and got ejected get from the game. Get him back out there. My guy, John Ross, one catch on five targets. John Moss. Yeah. John I mean, C is playing the end zone? Yeah. Now, okay, they, 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 you know, didn't give it to him, but whatever. But look, when you have John Ross and you've got uh, Kadarius Tony on the field at the same time, Mike Glennon can do some damage <laughs> next week. <laughs> well, uh, look, there are a few quarterbacks that have the elevation in their, uh, in their necks to be able to see 
where those receivers are the way Mike Glennon can. You know the way like, you know, short quarterbacks have some problems seeing over the line? Mm. It's not Mike's problem. It's not Mike's Mike problem. Mike sees right over that line. Like a, like a periscope. You know, those, the, the, that's what Mike's got. <laughs> the a, a periscope built in. Oh, NC State physically chose Mike Glennon over Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> After having Russell Wilson for three years as their quarterback. Yeah, that's like, the best part. It's like, like, it's Mike Glennon time. It here. wasn't as if it was, you know, these two guys coming in fresh. we got to make a choice. Like, no, no, you had that practice. guy, and then you, you had the choice. To be fair, Russ was a little bit more inconsistent back then Whatever. in college. Uh, Dallas offense, though, continues to roll. Dak had a really nice game. Four big-time throws. I loved – I mean, C.D. Lamb gets behind the defense, throws a bomb there. I loved the, the post that he threw to Amari Cooper for the touchdown. Uh, just perfect away from the corner before the safety gets there. So Dak, really nice game for him. Zeke goes over 100 yards on 21 carries, running hard again. Tony Pollard, Pollard's running hard. Uh, Zeke very went, efficient offense here. Zeke went 19 straight games without a PFF run grade above 80. And then the second they started eating into his workload in a serious way. Since our daily. With Tony Pollard, yes. Back-to-back. Uh, run grades of 80 didn't have 80 yesterday but was like 75 and look good again again i don't know if it's being spelled more or if it's just the threat of losing his job properly but like all of a sudden zeke elliott is running like old zeke elliott again and you're getting tony pollard who's playing better more of a workload like this is it's win-win for dallas it's it's had the maximum effect it could have had finally giving the guy that's performing better more of a workload the only team to score more points in the NFL is the Buffalo Bills. Bills have scored two more points than the Dallas Cowboys. They're four and one. They they've got a good point differential, the whole thing, but they are um, very good offensively, as we expected. And then Trayvon Diggs just keeps catching the ball defensively. Six picks on in five games. He's got six picks now. Just to get ahead of this, uh -oh. when you when you don't see a 100 PFF grade for Trayvon Diggs, uh -oh. it's because he's also there's also other stuff like getting run away on a crossing route by Kadarius Tony. Like he's also giving up a lot. All of those plays count. If the PFF grade was only based off of six plays out of 200, then, you know, Trayvon Diggs would be incredible. Uh, so even though what he's doing is incredible and unprecedented, six interceptions through four games, it's still just six plays on on the whole where he has given up. He is giving up yards as well. Okay. How's that? He started to remind me a lot of Antonio Cromartie. Yeah, that's um, a good – so I, I've been using Marcus Peters as that guy that turns the ball over but also will give it up as well. Uh, Cromartie is a good comp, though, for that. Cromartie was one of those players where throwing it into his coverage was always dangerous. Didn't necessarily mean it wouldn't be complete and he wouldn't give up a big play, but it was always risky, you know? And you never yeah. quite knew whether you were going to get the play away and, and – take advantage of the fact that he wasn't in lockdown tight coverage or if he was going to make one of those freaky plays where he one hand grabs it and snags it out of the air and you're like god damn it we know we shouldn't have tested him Diggs feels the same like the i think the pick that he, he was almost had another pick right in this game and then they finally test him like he's given he's he's in trail technique he's got some separation to to win back the pass is a little bit underthrown and then he does this great thing of just like nudging the receiver out of the way and then high pointing it and snagging it. But like those are the plays where you're you're playing with fire, right? You if you look up at the point he decided to make that throw, it made sense. You actually have an open receiver. There's a big, a huge play to be made here. 
but you don't have a lot of margin for error because if you're if you're off by half a yard, Diggs is catching it, not your guy. And that's basically the the calculation you're making every time you target him. And Drew Brees was talking about this on Sunday Night Football. He's like, when you have a guy with that level of ball skills, you have to be aware that if you do test him, it is dangerous. And, you know, he, he would choose the option of most of the time of not doing that and going somewhere else. Um, but that, like, he, he becomes interesting because it's very high-risk reward. It's not necessarily a bad thing to target him, but the downside is huge. Yeah, so he's he's turning the ball over. He's also on pace to give up over 1,000 receiving yards. Which is huge. Which is a huge number for a cornerback. So just just be wary of that. I mean, he'll, he'll be the guy that everybody's talking about as defensive player of the year. Yeah. The coverage grade overall for this season is still very good for Trayvon Diggs. It's and it's and, and I think the cow, the Cowboys would take this when you have an offense yeah, like yeah. that. Just give me the ball back, right? Give me the ball back for my offense. But um, just also understand we're great in the plays where where Diggs is in coverage and, and giving up yards, and that's what's happened a little bit as well. But man, very impressive ball skills, and like you said, I like I like the Cromarty comp there. Uh, Cowboys continue to roll, man. Very impressed with them. All right, let's wrap it up. I think this is the last game. Make sure I didn't fit, uh, mix, 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 miss anything. I can't talk. Hmm. 49ers and Cardinals. Uh, we did break down Trey Lance's debut on the PFF NFL Daily. So if you haven't listened to the Daily or you don't subscribe to the Daily, what are you doing? Go subscribe right now. Even, even if you're listening on YouTube, just go click it on your phone. Subscribe. And it's also uh, on YouTube now. Yeah, video. At least today. <laughs> the YouTube video. I can't believe you make me record from home. Sometimes we do it late night, the night before. Yeah, so PFF Daily is on YouTube now. So check that out. But the story here, the Cardinals moved to Mm 5-0. Best team in the NFL record-wise. We'll see if we believe that going forward. But, man, very, very impressive. Niners hung tough, man. The the defense hung tough against a really good Cardinals offense. This was not their best outing overall. But uh, what other takeaways did you have besides the the Lance debut that we broke down earlier? Rondell Moore was ridiculous. Um, the idea that, that he wasn't the first round pick is crazy. That catch on the sideline, nuts. The, he like that drive was him. Like yeah. it wasn't just that catch, but the that was the drive after Trey Lance got turned back at the goal line. Like tried to dive in for the the score, got turned back by multiple defenders. Just hit a brick wall. So like literally came up maybe a couple of inches short. Like I, and honestly, he may have broken the plane, but the angle never showed it. So you go from inches away from scoring. And then the Cardinals on the next drive end up going 90 yards or whatever and end up with a field goal at the end of it. But that drive was basically Rondell Moore. Like the crazy sideline catch, another couple of plays as well. He is ridiculous. DeAndre Hopkins took over late too because he was quiet for much of the game. He ends up a couple big catches, including the the one touchdown in the game, uh, the one passing touchdown for Kyler Murray. I, I think it just continues to emphasize the value of playmakers in today's NFL. When you like Jamar Chase has changed the Bengals offense, right? Yeah. And I know they lost, whatever. But Jamar Chase has changed the Bengals offense versus a tackle. Like Rashawn Slater has helped the Chargers offense for sure. But when you have that legitimate playmaker who's going to, when he when he has a great play, it's 30 yards here, 30 yards there. Rondell Moore had 30, he led the team with 38 rushing yards, right? So he has a 26, a long of 26 there. He has a big play in the game uh in the run game a 33 yarder in the pass game and, and again this is in addition to deandre hopkins and christian kirk and aj green so when one of those guys isn't having a great game or is getting attention someone else can step up and this is why the cardinals are undefeated um even though they only scored 17 points in this game 
there was a point where they just cracked down and said, okay, our playmakers are taking over. And it became Rondell and, ha- and DeAndre making plays down the stretch, and they pulled away and, and hadn't got the win. I, an underrated loss for them in this game is poor old Max Williams oh, getting man, his knee. knee. Out. He is like he's he was like a couple of catches away from setting career bench or the best season of his career since his rookie year back in 2015 yeah, we're in week five right exactly yeah so he's got 17 targets 16 catches 193 yards and a touchdown right basically his three best seasons other than that rookie year are 18 17 and 16 targets 15 17 and 15 catches uh 200 yards 151 86 and each one of those has one touchdown so he's basically setting career years other than that rookie year already has by far the best pff receiving grade of his career and then just guy throws himself through his knee as it's planted it's like god it i do kind of wonder sometimes you know the way the nfl is trying to take away that headshot right from the safety in particular right the one you know down the seam guy's making a catch safety's coming over and delivers a shot to the head like Taysom hill got cracked by one yesterday from william jackson the NFL is trying to take that hit out of the game, right? That was something that was fine in the 1980s, and now we don't want that. That's where the concussions come from. That's where the billion-dollar lawsuit is. We stop doing that. And if we have to flag you out of, obliv- out of existence, that's what we're going to do. You just can't take that shot anymore. And all these people going, what do you expect the safety to do? You, can- you can't make the hit anymore. That's the point. You can't make that hit anymore. They are stopping you even attempting it. So that's the purpose of that. I do wonder if we're going to get there with shots to the knees as well, where you just say, look, the number of plays we are looking and a guy just throws himself bodily at your knee. And if your knee isn't off the ground, your ligament's gone, done. Like, forget it. it ACLs, MCLs, PCLs, it's all toast. You, you need to see that hit coming and be able to get your foot out of the ground. Otherwise, you're done. I do wonder if we're going to get to a stage where the NFL says, okay, that's not cool either. We're going to, now you're going to hit the midsection. Yeah. Now you're going to have to aim for this block between the shoulder and the knee. And if you can't do that, you can't make a hit. And it sounds ridiculous, right? But rugby's already gone in that direction. Like it it just hits like this. You're like, this didn't feel necessary. I've seen pushback on this from players. So I think, I think that the NFL wants to take away. I mean, it's the long-term head injuries. Those are yeah. those are life-changing injuries. I mean, so is a knee. A knee injury is not a life-changing injury, probably. It's a career-changing injury, though. So I think the players players certainly care more about it because it is. I mean, it's it's Max Williams' season. Like it's his career. It's his ability to earn. So there it's, so there are there, but there's a slight difference between a knee injury, which affects maybe your salary, your ability to play a season or two or whatever versus they they're trying to 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 change the narrative on the stories of like the 50 60 70 year old old timers that are like really having head trauma and everything i mean there's also a bunch of those guys that can't really walk anymore because their knees don't True. function like True. it's I, all it's, i'm saying is like the head's a little bit more serious than the knee but i get the head is definitely the thing they're going to be focusing on but like ultimately player safety is player safety and if there if a dude is having his knee shredded for no particular purpose other than we haven't outlawed a, do- a guy torpedoing his knee the other part though and you know th- there was that tom brady interview before the season when he was like man qu- you know quarterbacks aren't learning how to play quarterback anymore you know from when when you change the rules and there's no it's you're actually rewarded for throwing a guy into coverage it's not teaching quarterbacks not to do that i mean quarterbacks are probably as much to blame for this 
for throwing guys into coverage. I'm not saying Kyler in this particular. I'm just saying overall, when you are throwing guys into double coverage because the the positives from a football standpoint, the positives outweigh the negatives. I mean, that feels a little bit like old man yells a cloud. Like this, this is just a another variant of being angry at the number change for Tom Brady. It's changing the game. Is it make what? Why is it worse? Like. Oh, we're teaching quarterbacks bad fundamentals because they're leading their receiver. They're not protecting their receivers by leading them into hits. But if you're the game because has changed. defenders still do it because defenders still pick up penalties and it's still right. dangerous for the receiver. But that's because we're moving. We're we haven't got there yet. It's because the league is transitioning from head hunting middle of the field safeties where you could basically kill a dude and it was cool to like you can't take that shot anymore. In the middle, there's going to be times where it's illegal. You take the shot and a guy's getting hurt, but. If, if that is against the rules, it feels a little bit weird to be like, well, the quarterback's at fault here because he threw his receiver into somewhere where he's not allowed to be hit but was anyway. Like, it's not... there's still a chance the guy breaks the rules and kills your guy, and then... Yeah, but, that, that, but, you, but then you then actually get 15 yards for that instead. is weird. That doesn't, that, that doesn't make any sense. The idea that quarterbacks can do a better job of protecting receivers is not old man yells at cloud. What, it's Brady, absolutely... Something. No, if the thing is illegal, what Brady is suggesting is that you should pass up plays that are there because there's a chance that the defender will ignore the rules and take your receiver out. That's silly. I don't like it. <laughs> Quarterbacks need blame, too, for hospital balls. They used to be called hospital balls. Yeah, but I don't think those they are hospital still are. balls. The, the difference a, is it's not incomplete. It's, it's a free 50. There's a yards. difference between leading a receiver into like guaranteed death where they're literally running into a brick wall and there's nothing you can do about it versus taking a shot down Unintended a seam. Unintended human behavior change. Versus taking a shot down a seam where the safety could decapitate your receiver after the ball arrives but isn't really allowed to. Like, there are still hospital balls that shouldn't be attempted, but I don't think those are a case of those passes. Anyway, the uh, Niners fall to two and three. We'll see how long the uh, – we'll see if Jimmy Garoppolo comes back or if it's Trey Lance moving forward. Again, we broke down uh, Lance on the daily. There was some good, some bad. He was the leading rusher, 16 carries for 89 yards. It was, uh, it was, an, it was a long-developing passing attack with Trey Lance. He was used in the design running game a lot, and I think as you talked about on the daily, there wasn't – it wasn't always connected and um, still left a little wanting for more when it comes to the Trey Lance offense, but I don't want to overreact to the rookie's first start. Yeah, I thought he looked okay. Um, it was, I mean, similar to the Justin Fields stuff. There was some good, there was some bad. Uh, it was a more, it was a more tailored offense to Trey Lance. And yet in a way, I still came away more disappointed with, with it and how the, the relative lack of creativity involved. I mean, in theory, Shanahan has been kind of working on this, at least, you know, in the back of his mind for like a decade since RG3. And in that time, the league has only made it more conducive to creating something undefendable in terms of like the run game is connected to the pass game and RPOs exist to the point where you can't be right. Like whatever you do, we're going to make you wrong as, as defenders, as linebackers, as safeties, as defensive linemen. We're just going to take the thing that you're not defending on this given play because you can't defend all of it. It's impossible. Right. And in this game, it was like, no, here's the run game component and here's the pass game component. And they're not entirely joined up. And whether they'll ever get joined up, I, I don't know. But it feels like that's something that should be closer based off how long he's had to think about this. Now, maybe he hasn't really been thinking about it until they drafted him, right? 
That's possible too. But that I think is an element. Well, he that wanted. He, he was thinking of his Mac Jones offense. Right. How will Mac problem. Jones mesh in this system? Um, but it feels to me that that's like an element that needs to happen for this for the Trey Lance 49ers experience to be the full like sky high potential that that in theory we believe it to be. Like they need to find a way of joining up the run game and the pass game elements. Otherwise, it's just it's difficult to defend, but it's not impossible. So Arizona moves to five and zero. Since I'm mentioning point differentials throughout the show here, they've got number one plus sixty two. Okay. The NFC here. Uh, by the way, one one more thing to wrap it up. Two throat contusions in the NFL yesterday. Joe Burrow and Jeremiah Wusokoromoa both went to the hospital for throat contusions. It feels like... Never heard of that before. Yeah, like the Madden video thing. game just like added a new injury and everybody's <laughs> getting it this week. Uh, hopefully they're both okay. JOK has been re- uh, released from the hospital, but that doesn't sound pleasant. No, and Burrow said he was going to be fine. Yeah. He said he got poked in the throat. I had literally he never heard speak. of the throat contusion. We saw two in one division yeah the afc north and both hospitalizations not just yeah. like had a throat contusion both got sent to the hospital with it no throat issues are they're no joke hit my catcher in the throat one time with a bounce ball and he couldn't breathe for a little bit i wasn't aware that was an option yeah do i need is there throat protection oh so this was, actually wasn't me it was someone else i've seen a, the helmets they give you like a cheek ball. so the catchers usually have like a little throat protector that hangs down especially like back in high school and everything but the know. batsmen are just on their own so when you when you block a ball as a catcher because when the ball's in the dirt you gotta block it you want to go head down okay and if you if your head's up it's gonna hit you in the throat and my it feels like that's an avoidable mike, thing no? shout out to mike here like if you're like yeah it's avoidable. i'd be disappointed down. in myself if i caught a baseball in the throat you know well if you uh if you face me long enough you know you might if i'm you not hit- saying you won't aim or like i'm not aim i won't say you won't put one throat trajectory. I will not put it near your throat. I'm just saying, I can easily see a scenario where the ball is coming at my throat, but I would be disappointed in myself if I caught it in the throat. I had a teammate swing and miss on a ball that hit him in the chest. Okay. That's tough to do. Swinging at a pitch that's hitting you. Please don't do that when I'm pitching to you. Why is that tough to do? Because usually when the ball is about to hit you, you don't swing. It's, right. not, it's not a strike. I'll be swinging. You at only want to swing it. Str- okay, I know you're under the you're <laughs> under the impression that you're just going to swing at everything. That's not the impression. That will happen. I mean, every single pitch is thrown in my like direction. A zone. You ever watch a game? They get the box. No, no, I'm aware of that. But this is different. Like we are. So if I throw one at you, you're not going to like turn and get hit by it. You're actually going to swing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, expose your chest. And- uh huh. Everything you throw at me will be swung at. This is it's gonna be like it's gonna be like rookie ball with the seventeen year olds again. Swing yeah. at everything. It's uh-huh. great. So I can make you look stupid just throwing the ball in the dirt. And everything. everything you you throw at me, I will swing at, with the possible exception of ones that are like throat targeted that I might just instinctively go to hell yeah, with. Get this out of the way. If the ball's the coming at you, just get out of the way. Don't swing at okay? the throat at least. Yeah. Head and throat, I think I'll probably be swinging to avoid. Body. I need a catcher in the Cincinnati area. I need to train. If there's something the coming, ready. you know, for the uh, what do they say? Central mass, isn't that what they the, the shooting term? Right, aim for the the central mass. Yeah. If there's a ball coming at the central mass, I think I'll probably be swinging at it. Okay. I'll be throwing it right from the same tunnel, and then splitter's gonna draw slider <laughs> here. A little too. Oh, arm side run's gonna get you, Sam. You're yeah. In All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Week five is in the books. Monday Night Football. If you do want a preview for Monday Night Football, it's on our preview episode. Colts and Ravens, enjoy that game tonight. We, uh, we'll be thinking of some kind of stretch goal, but as it is, the, the tweet is still there for the GoFundMe on 
both of our pinned tweets, right? And uh, it'll be in the description of this show. And, you know, keep donating because we're at 3,300 3, right now. Let's get it as high as we can. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Wednesday for the midweek PFF NFL podcast.